Welcome to episode 56 of the Geek Rex podcast. Uh, this is Harper, and I'm going to be hosting the show today. So joining me are Kyle. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm all right. I'm uh, getting ready for a long trip in a couple weeks. Ah, uh, yeah, you've got some exciting stuff coming up. Yes, yeah, we're uh, Hannah and I are about to head out to Comic Con, so it's going to be uh, crazy. There's press releases galore, and signing up for different press conferences, and getting interviews secured. So, all things will end up on the website for sure. Awesome, awesome. And uh, also joining us is Cal. How's it going, man? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thank you for asking. <laughs> oh, and uh, also as usual with our comics gang is Shane. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Cool. So uh, we're we're hitting the halfway point of 2014. So um, uh, you know, we happy half New Year and happy July Fourth for everybody. Woo! Um, Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so we all had a good time. It sounds like. Um, so we thought this month would be a good time to kind of talk about our favorites of the year so far, uh, what we're kind of calling our mid-year report card. So um, we're going to be doing that all, all month. We're going to talk about different things that we've liked so far. But um, this week's focus is on comic books. So um, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So we put up an article earlier this week, if you had a chance to check it out. Um, and we figured this podcast would be a good chance for us to just kind of discuss those, argue about them, you know, talk about why we like this and why we don't agree with each other on this. So uh, it'll be all in good fun. So um, I think the best one to start with will be uh, what we think was our biggest surprise of the year so far. So um, there's always kind of comics that come out that slip under the radar or they're just things that are kind of totally unexpected. Um, so I, I know that's one of my favorite things about comics is just that there's so much variety on the shelf and so many things that I might just see that kind of catch my interest and then turns out to be something I fall in love with. So, um, you know, there's always something new to try. So uh, let's start with Cal. What uh, what do you think so far has been your biggest pleasant surprise for 2014? Well, mine, I chose uh, She-Hulk, uh, Charles Soule, Javier Polito. Um, and I, I thought I would like it a little bit when I heard the solicit. I mean, I've liked a lot of She-Hulk's recent stuff. Um, they, they've, they've focused a lot on giving her uh, kind of quick, wittier writers but I haven't been super enamored of anything that I had read by Soul. Um, I think my first encounter with him was like Superman Wonder Woman, which is fine, I guess. But it didn't really get me too excited for this. But um, honestly, I, I never expected to get like a quick paced legal comedy that combines, you know, like all these different elements that I liked and... It just blew me away. I mean, it is just insanely fun. Uh, every issue so far, uh, quotable, funny, weird, uh, exciting. It's far, far beyond what I was expecting for the book. Can I say I, I totally agree with that? Me too. Um, that, that, that assessment at no I, point. I think we're all in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those books that, like, I – I like I I don't really love a lot of Charles Soule stuff either. He's he's like I understand Letter Forty Four is a good book. But I haven't read it, um, but Javier Polito is always a draw for me. I I love his art, um, and She Hulk works because I think there's occasionally that rare uh, combination of writer and creation that's just perfect, and it's nice that you have a guy like Charles Soule who is an attorney uh, writing for a book. That is, for the character that is an attorney, 
um, there's just something that cl- just clicks there, and it's it's really a testament to like sort of the ongoing uh, Hawkeyeization of mm-hmm. Marvel. <laughs> yeah. um, that She-Hulk works as well as it does. It's just more fuel for that fire, and it's a direction that of Marvels that I'm just loving. Yeah, I, I would totally agree that the, about the Hawkeye thing in particular. Um, I think it, it fills that gap for me where Secret Avengers took it a little too far, I think. I, I got really kind of sick of it quickly because it was just kind of too um, too goofy and too out there a little bit for me. But She-Hulk is kind of just the perfect combination. It's just super stylish, and it's legitimately very funny. And, yeah, great series, totally. I, I agree. And uh I know Kyle talked about Javier Polito's art, and I would say he's just as essential to this book as mm-hmm. Soul is because he was definitely missed on that last issue because that last issue was a trudge to get through with uh, that new artist. Oh, you thought so? Yeah, I, I did not care for that new artist. Oh, man, I, I was kind of digging it. It was so <laughs> different I because I, I, you know, it was a change in story direction a little bit. Right. I, it, it, it looked kind of like, like an alcoholic drew it, the way it was shaky. <laughs> that, yeah, um, <laughs> I think that's a good point, yeah. But, and that might be why I didn't take to it. So. Yeah, Ron Wimberly's tough. I, I get it. but it, It's still, but the writing's still pitch perfect on that book so yeah. far. Absolutely. So, um Let's go next with uh, Shane. How about what are your what's your biggest surprise for the year? Um, I felt. See, we were talking about before the podcast about how whether we'd mentioned like our second choices for something, and I think that's where I just kind of stuck my uh, second choice was biggest surprise uh, for my second choice for best series because I was trying to decide between Southern Bastards and Nailbiter about which one I would give best series. Because I didn't want to go with Fables just yet, because I'm kind of like, I want to save Fables for next year, because that's its last year, and I know that's super obvious to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I decided to go with Nailbiter, because even though I really like Ghosted, Ghosted has kind of dragged a bit, and uh, it was really obvious that Joshua Williamson planned the book to be just a five-issue miniseries, and then it became such a big thing that Image was like, okay, make it an ongoing, and he's kind of struggled to keep it fresh as an ongoing but Nailbiter has blown me away so far in the first three issues. And the only other one of us I know that reads it is Cal. And I, I've just loved it. It's great horror. Ghosted kind of t- tackles like ghost story tropes, like different cultural ghost stories and things like that. And then Nailbiter is definitely more the slasher genre. And he, him and Mike Henderson, Josh Williamson and Mike Henderson just do an amazing job on that book so far. I, I'm just really hoping after about issue five or six, it doesn't go downhill like Ghost has. <laughs> I, I haven't read it yet, but I will say um, I was looking at the article and I forgot he was the one who wrote that new uh, RoboCop, which yeah, I, he's I, writer of the new RoboCop, and he's going to be writing that new Predator book too from Dark Horse. Yeah, I, I picked that RoboCop up uh, last week or the week before, um, mostly because I like the cover so much, uh, honestly. <laughs> but um, it was great. I really, really loved it. I'm it's actually good. probably going to subscribe to it. I, I was surprised, so. Yeah, he's been getting a lot of attention lately, which is good because he's a he's a really good writer when he wants to be. <laughs> when he wants. Yeah, to. <laughs> I, I I definitely agree. Nailbiter was another big surprise for me. I think um, part of the reason that I probably didn't list it on my own is I th- at the time I had only read the first two issues. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, it was. Not what I was expecting. Uh, the cover art was a little bit, a little bit too gory, like almost a little <laughs> bit Walking Dead for me. Like I was like, yeah. ah, it's gonna be, 
kind of Kirkman light, but uh, it's so much sharper than than what I've read of Kirkman's work, uh, especially lately. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was just a really fun, quick take on, as you say, on kind of the uh, slasher genre and almost the super heroization of of serial killers like the way culture treats them as these kind of alternate like alternate ego like it's Mm -hmm. just a smart book i'm excited to see i I really want to i really hope it gets back into like more of an examination of that because that's really just been a very low level thread for it but i really hope it goes full swing into that kind of examination once this first arc's over Looking at the cover kind of reminds me of Bedlam. Are, are they even yeah. at all similar? Did anybody read that? I don't read Bedlam, so oh, I don't know. Uh, uh. <laughs> I read the first arc of Bedlam, and um, Bedlam was a lot. Bedlam was a lot grimmer, I think. Like for for as for the subject matter of Nailbiter, it's 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 a pretty um, it's pretty fast paced, and it's got a very traditional lead. It's got uh, a lot of traditional elements grounding the kind of weirder stuff in the that's building in the background. Bedlam just went full on nuts in the first issue and never <laughs> let up. So, oh, okay, well, good to know. Um, so wait, did you guys say that he's writing the Predator series? He is, that's out? Right. A miniseries, rather. Um, it's uh, fun- I don't. Yeah, I don't know if it's a miniseries or what, but I know like because they're doing Predator, Alien, and Prometheus, and he's doing Predator. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's a miniseries because it's um. Kelly Sue DeConnick sort of show running it. Um, oh. I, I had I had breakfast with Chris Sebola, um, and we he he's the guy that's actually writing uh, I think the Aliens versus Predator book. So okay. I, I'm you know it, it's funny I have like no attachment to Predator at all. Um, I'm gonna read it just because he's writing it, and because I'm interested in all those books. But I yeah I'm kind of like you. I was Predator was the one that I was kind of questioning whether or not I wanted to read it, but with him writing it, I think I'll. I'll trust it. Yeah, that's with this recommendation, that actually makes me want to sort of warm up to the idea of picking up a Predator comic, though I was totally sold on uh, that cover's Alien. Cool. Did you see that Prometheus. cover that debuted for Predator? I, mm-hmm. No. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> I'll check it out for sure. So, uh, Kyle, what was your biggest surprise? All right, so I think I've spent the past... Uh, I don't know, eight, nine months hearing from our friend Matt Miller about how great Al Ewing <laughs> is. And um, he's constantly talking about Zombo and you need to go buy Zombo. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I never could actually find a copy of Zombo anywhere I went. So um, I lucked out in that Marvel hired him to write some books, which was really great. And uh, they hired him to write the relaunch of Mighty Avengers, which is my biggest surprise of 2014 so far. Um, Mighty Avengers is basically, uh, for lack of a better term, as my friend Eric, who is an African-American, says, it's Black Avengers. Um, <laughs> and it, uh, I gotta say, it's, it's fabulous. It's, it's got more personality than any Avengers title that's out right now, more so even than Uncanny Avengers, which I know you love, Harper, mm-hmm. um, but in way more than the Hickman stuff, which... Oh. It's just, you know, kind of lifeless in, in many respects, though is getting better. Um, Mighty Avengers is literally the Avengers book that I wanted to read the entire time I was reading Hickman's Avengers and pulling my hair out. Um, Luke Cage, I've never loved the book that he starred in, though I have. I mean, I enjoyed Alias, but I've never I've never really loved the Luke Cage Power Man book. 
Um, you know, Blue Adam or Blue Marvel, excuse me. It's a character that I knew nothing about. And, uh, you know, the former Captain Marvel as well. It's another character I, I could I, I hear less about. I Spider-Man's not on the team anymore. No, and it's actually Spider-Man was never on the team. Uh, oh, really? Because I remember yeah. that was a big promotion when, it, when the book was coming out. No, it was not Spider-Man. He showed up in the first couple issues, but actually the other member of the team was a guy that was dressed up in a cheap Spider-Man costume. But uh, spoilers, it, it's Blade. Um, oh. So, <laughs> yeah. So Blade's okay. a member of the team as well. Um and so all of these guys are, uh, you know, they're basically urban Avengers dealing with localized threats. And it kind of plays to some of the things that I like best about the Marvel Universe, which is its urban environments. I love Daredevil. I love Hawkeye for that same reason. Uh, Iron Fist, whenever he deals with that same kind of stuff and is not, you know, hung up in Kunlun. Um, Mighty Avengers is a lot of fun. And guess what? Greg Land doesn't ruin the book. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't trace. That's a surprise in itself. I know, I know. I mean, some people, like, the first couple issues, I wasn't totally bothered by it. But as we got to, like, issue 10, 11, or excuse me, issue 11, I think is when he came back, um, he was actually a benefit for the book. And I was talking with, you know, with our friends, and I just said, you know, I can't believe it, but I think Greg Land actually has, like, figured out how to draw comics. <laughs> um, it took him forever, but he's there. And, has uh, remembered how, because he was quite good before he started tracing, actually. Now, when, <laughs> when, when did the tracing begin? Ultimate Fantastic Four, or? It was for sure going on when he did Iron Man. It was, it was uh, I think, after he left, or near when he left CrossGen. I think, if I remember correctly, it started getting really obvious on his covers at CrossGen. And when he got to Marvel, he just went full on nonstop trace. Wow. Folks, we've just dropped the cross gen bomb. Uh, <laughs> talk about a throwback Thursday. <laughs> oh, man. Suddenly we talk about Route 666 and all the books that were in that lineup. Anyway, Mighty uh, Avengers. I haven't, I haven't yeah. read Mighty Avengers at all, but I will say those covers for those original Sin tie ins make me wish I was reading yeah, that book. Yeah, for real. Me too. Francesco, man, he's, and, he's the best. But I will say, uh, Al Ewing, I will get a chance to jump on the Al Ewing train this month because he's writing the 11th Doctor books for Titan. Oh, wow. Wait, cool. 11th Doctor? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay, interesting. So I don't know who's writing 10, but he's writing 11, yeah. Oh, wow, that's that's fascinating. He's, he's hilarious. And I will also put in a pitch for Loki, Agent of Asgard, which I think is a very good book as well. Um Future's bright for Al Ewing at Marvel. I hope that means he'll be taking over Iron Man or something really Maybe. big That'd soon. Nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Mighty Avengers, great book. Yeah, that's what I'm going to have to start picking up in trades, I think, for sure. That's I'm, I'm very interested. Um, so my biggest surprise um, was definitely Deadly Class. This was one that I almost had no... Um, no, no contest for. I had no runner-up um, because I literally remember reading in previews uh, what this was about, and I was like, "That sounds totally stupid. I can't believe Rick Remender is doing this." A school about uh, you know teenage assassins is like, "There's got to be at least two or three other books coming out right now with the exact same premise." Like I've seen this so many times, but um, I heard so much about the first issue. I went back and picked it up, and I have been uh, religiously picking it up since because um, it's number one. It's an absolutely gorgeous book um uh Wes Craig does the art um and it's just it's really colorful it's really exciting the layouts are really kind of dynamic and, and really interesting um the whole book has got this really great 80s kind of um uh just this like 80s teen romance sort of 
feel to it, like an 80s movie. Um, that sounds, it's, I know that maybe doesn't sound great, but it, it is. <laughs> um, and, uh, but remember, this is some of the best work he's doing, and he's doing a lot of work right now. Um, this is one of his most kind of, you know, despite the concept, this is actually one of his most kind of emotional emotionally raw books, I think. Um, there's a lot of real stuff in there, despite the kind of bombastic elements to it. It's really intense. Um, the second to most recent issue, uh, they were in, uh, well, the last couple issues, they were in Las Vegas, and uh, the main character, Marcus, was on a crazy uh, LSD trip. And the way it was portrayed and how insane it was, it wasn't just sort of you know, the usual kind of over the top, like, oh, look, there's clowns everywhere and, you know, there's crazy (laughs) shapes. Like, it was really, really well done and it was legitimately, like, you know, heart pumping with all the stuff that was going on. So really, really well done. Um, Highly, highly recommended. Yeah, I'm a a big fan of Deadly Class too and I did not think I would be. Um, I mean, the premise itself, as as you mentioned, wasn't great, but also I'm I'm just not a huge... uh, uh, Remender fan, but I mean, it's, it's so grounded in like a specific time and a specific place. The characters are so well, uh, so good. It's just, I mean, this is, this is definitely, I can, I can see why for, for all the things that Remender's done that I haven't loved, this is the one that really sells me on him as like a genuine talent that uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to keep checking out his stuff from here on out. Like it's a fantastic work. And uh, Wes Craig, who I had never heard of. Yeah, me neither. uh, Before this, before this book is just blowing me away issue after issue. Yeah. It's that the art in that book is amazing. Uh, so I uh, I read the first issue of Black Science, and I, I practically wanted to use it as toilet paper. So uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Black Science. Um, but Deadly Class is something I kept hearing a lot about on Twitter. I haven't bought anything of it yet because Remender is like is real hit and miss with me too. Like I love Uncanny X Force so much that I bought the Omnibus to uh, get him to sign. Hopefully someday. And um, I love that series. I love the art. I love Dean White. And, um, you know, that that kind of brought me into at least enjoying Uncanny Avengers uh, to an extent. But the uh, I, you know, I just have not jumped on the deadly class train. Uh, how many issues is it in at this point, Harper? I believe they just had their sixth and they're, there's, they're going on a break now until I think September it's coming back. So the first arc just finished. Oh, sweet. So it's trade time is what that means. Yep. Um, cool. That that actually sounds more welcoming. So, you know, I, I can drop the 10 bucks to check this thing out once I, uh, I clear through this saga thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, Deadly Class. I, I'll check it out based on your recommendation alone, Harper. It's great. So um, let's uh, let's move to the opposite end of the spectrum now. So uh, we had biggest surprise. So now let's talk about our biggest disappointments. Um, so well, let's go in uh, backwards order. So I'll start on this one. Uh, my biggest disappointment was is definitely Future's End. Um, and I know this is one of those things where uh, I know the rest of you and probably all the listeners are saying, it can't be a disappointment if you knew it was going to be bad, right? <laughs> um, but uh, as a big Batman Beyond fan, and uh, you know, I, I really like kind of alternate history stuff in comics or alternate future stuff, I should say, um, and, and just going by how crazy the zero issue was and the previews were, 
um, I was really excited for it. I got my uh, hopes up pretty high and um, I stuck with it for, I think, eight issues. And then I just, I couldn't bear to, to read it anymore. Um, it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, there's a lot of great people involved and because there's so many of them that I, I don't, I can't feel any of their voices in it at whatsoever. Um, you know, it feels like it's written by an editor and, and they just slapped those guys' names on the cover. Um, but uh, beyond that too, I, the first the first hint of, of strong dislike I had for it was the absolutely ridiculous characterization of Mr. Terrific, which I, I still can't get over um, and, and don't... And, I'm trying to figure out if he's been replaced by an evil clone somewhere that I missed or something. Cause he's like the biggest douchebag now, which is so bizarre to me. Cause that's a character I really like. So they seem to imply, uh, I guess it was number nine, uh, that he's the Mr. Terrific from earth two. Ah, uh, well that would have been nice to know. Mr. Terrific yeah, from earth two. He's a white he guy. Some, he says something about spending time <laughs> in earth two. Well, in, in his series, he was dating uh, power girl from earth two. Uh, so, he he could be traveling between the two freely because of that relationship. No, he was. He was. He's in in, in the Earth Two series. He was a, ca- a prisoner of uh, of the original Mister Terrific. I vaguely recall that. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that it, it's probably the same dude. So yeah, at some point between now and and in the next couple of years in the future, I guess you <laughs> know something something happens in that Earth Two war they keep hinting about. Yeah, he's got a he's got a major personality change that makes him say really out of date uh, things about social media. <laughs> He hasn't been in the series. Am I trending? Much, to be quite honest. Well, that, all, he's, all he's done is he's been he's been a douchebag and he stole a robot out of Batman Beyond's uh, uh, shopping cart. That was plenty. <laughs> yeah, you, just, is this is this selling the series for anybody right now? Uh, I, I read Mister Terrific's shopping zero. cart. <laughs> I read the well, zero Batman Beyond was posing as a hobo with a shopping cart, and he had a robot in there for some reason. And yeah, Mister Terrific took it. Uh, I like it. I mean, I can understand why it's disappointing for people, but I think it's. I think lately, and I think it's actually kind of funny because I think Number Eight's when it actually started to hit its stride. Well, um, that's what everybody says about every weekly book I drop. <laughs> 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 uh, I I think it's I think it's been good. Um, I might drop it in favor of the Earth Two book when that starts up, just because I want to give that a chance. And I can definitely agree with the comment that uh, there does not seem to be like you can't tell when another writer's writing it. Uh, there, well, there are weeks where I've had hints that oh, this must be either Lemire or Azarello because the characters are written slightly better this week. But uh, that's really it. Like I I definitely agree. It does not feel like a different voice each week. Yeah. I read the zero issue and the first issue and I couldn't, couldn't do more. I, uh, the first issue just kind of was okay, but the zero issue actively made me angry. (laughs) Um, I feel like we've seen like what I'm trying to think like three future apocalypses, and they've all looked exactly the fucking same. Like you can't look at that zero issue and tell me that you could tell the difference between that and the fucking rot, rot world stuff. Like they looked exactly the same. Yeah, but but and, made of metal this time made of metal. They're made of metal. I, I will say, I think if futures in were a monthly book, I would have stopped reading it a long time ago because the way it's paced, I don't know that it would survive as a monthly book. Um, and the only thing that I think I find super interesting about the book is for anything with Frankenstein. 
Yeah, that's that's the part I actually really like. Um, there's a there was one issue, maybe like number six, was the one where they brought the atom into it. I'm also a mm-hmm. huge sucker for it. It's one of my favorite characters. Yeah, Frankenstein, the atom, Amethyst, and now Hawkman's been added to right. that mix. That, that little team and that very small part of the book is great. <laughs> um, and it's yeah, really... The stuff is boring. Yep. The Batman Beyond stuff is okay. Um, I'm Now it's more like I like Frankenstein and I'm curious to see who this Superman is. Yeah, I wasn't curious enough to stick with it, but we need <laughs> we need uh we need Futures End Dave here to uh to you know convert us all. So oh yeah, no he he thinks your your criticism of this series is un-American, sir. <laughs> Truly, the liberals have won at this point. That's so. right. Uh, <laughs> I made it three issues, by the way. Kyle made it three issues. <laughs> Futures End, and uh, yeah, once we got to Firestorms having sex instead of saving somebody. I was like, ah, I think I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, Kyle, how about you? What was your, uh, what's your biggest disappointment? Uh, so there were a couple of options I could have gone with here. <laughs> <laughs> One was very recent, which was the hiring of, uh, David Finch and Meredith Finch uh, to take over Wonder Woman behind, uh, Cliff Chang and Brian Azzarello. Uh, but I guess that'll be a disappointment for next year. <laughs> um, or for the latter half of this year, perhaps. Year. <laughs> yeah, for the end of the year, that could be my big disappointment. But, um, instead, I think my biggest disappointment has to be the derailing of Greg Pak and Aaron Cooter's seemingly resurrection of Action Comics after the Grant Morrison run had ended. Uh, that, that's a title that had just been uh, on rough waters for a few issues with uh, Andy Diggle doing a quick three drop of the hat with them. And then... Um, uh, Scott Lobdell coming in and doing whatever Scott Lobdell does for a couple of issues. Uh, Eric, they brought in Greg Pak and Aaron Cooter, and it was the Superman I always wanted to read. Uh, very optimistic, very exciting. Um, you know, no getting it on with Wonder Woman. Um, all the things that I want in a Superman book. And uh, then it becomes derailed in the creative quicksand that is Superman doomed. And my biggest disappointment so far of 2014 is Superman Doomed. Um, because, frankly, I would prefer to read this standalone story, and I thought Greg Pak and Aaron Cooter were doing a great job. Superman Doomed itself is pretty terrible. Um, basically, it takes one plot point from All-Star Superman, uh, the idea of a viral doomsday, uh, which sort of infected Jimmy Olsen and All-Star Superman. Here it infects Superman. And he slowly starts turning to the Hulk. And uh, now he's been taken off world. And it's kind of very Planet Hulk-like. Greg Pak sort of repeating history there, I guess. And it's it sucks. It's terrible. And I would much rather uh, read something else by this team. So sadly, I am reading no Superman books at all. And that's a first for a couple of years now. So Superman? <clears throat> what, was, what was that? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, I picked up that first issue. I don't know if I'll keep reading it or not. <laughs> we'll see. I liked it, but I don't know if I'll keep getting it. Yeah, that's... I, kinda, I mean, I, I can agree with... Yeah, Doomed, it, I I don't mind it, but yeah, it definitely... Like, it's it was supposed to be Lobdell's story, wasn't it? Like, it's supposed to be his big finale for his run on Superman, and then he just left Superman and threw it on them, and they somehow have to find a way to finish this ridiculousness. 
And it's lasting months. That's the problem. It's not a – it wouldn't be a disappointment for me if it was like a one-month thing. Right. This thing is going on into like October. Part right. three, Super Doom. <laughs> I cannot yeah, believe. Doom, yes, that's just another nail oh, in the coffin for God's right sake. Um, that I mean, actually I came love... from Morrison, guys. By the way, that that's a Morrison term. Uh, um, so well, that doesn't make it any better. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't defend it, but I, I will say that did does have history in the run. Um, just that part. <laughs> the thing, the um, thing about Super Doom, though, is Morrison did create that as an explicit uh, condemnation of DC's <laughs> obsession with branding. So yeah. Super Doom's entire existence in Morrison's run was as like a corporate take on Superman trying to make him really edgy. <laughs> Which, so, <laughs> so, so keep that in mind that they're now legitimately using that. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, um, awesome. <laughs> I don't know what else to yeah, say. I, I, I've, I've kept with it just because I like, I, I love Charles Soule on Superman Wonder Woman and I love Greg Pak on action comics. But yeah, it's, it definitely feels like Somebody started cooking dinner, and they got to find some way to make it taste bearable. It's 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 kind of a mess all over the board. Yeah, I've I've, st- I've stuck with action and and Superman, Wonder Woman, but I'm not sure why, honestly. Well, I, <laughs> I will I will say the only defense I will have of this is that um, the last issue of Action, uh, which brought Aaron Cooter back, I don't think he was off the book for an issue or two. Um, his art was fantastic, despite these stupid. Uh... His art's good, and Tony S. <laughs> Daniels' art's good, so. Yeah, that is true. Aaron Cooter is like the closest thing to having Frank Quitely drawing yeah. Superman right now. Yeah. Uh, or exactly. Nick Patara, you know, who is probably his closest corollary. So uh, the art, when anytime Cooter is actually drawing the book, is fabulous, mm-hmm. but still not enough to save it, frankly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Shane, what about your biggest disappointment of the first half of 2014? Um, mine, like, when I was going. Th- for a disappointment, like I didn't want to like pick a book that I'm just like, oh, this book's a pile of shit now, and I don't know why people like it. But it's more just something that like I tried to think of something that was like a legitimate disappointment for me now that I I really want something to be good and I want it to be good again. And so far this year it hasn't been very good. And that's Guardians of the Galaxy. And as we all know, this is gonna be a big year for that title. And like the next few weeks are gonna be huge for Guardians of the Galaxy. And the book that is coming out in stores right now. I don't know if it's really worth the money to chase after it. Um, this year started off with the big crossover with Bendis's other title, All New X-Men. And I, I can understand how Char- uh, Trial of Jean Grey would be great if you're an All New X-Men fan going in, or I can understand how it would be fine as a trade read. But if you're like me and you were just reading Guardians of the Galaxy and suddenly Guardians of the Galaxy is in yet another crossover... You, uh, you didn't really get much to make it worth your time. Uh, it was very much so a story that was furthering things that were going on in all new X-Men. It wasn't necessarily that it was hard to understand. It was just that the Guardians didn't really have much to do aside from helping them beat up aliens. And that's really something you could have had literally anyone else in the Marvel Universe do. So I don't know why the Guardians had to be involved other than the fact that, hey, people need to know what the Guardians of the Galaxy are because there's a movie coming out. So how about you throw them in with this other book you're writing? And I think it was it was a disappointment. And Gamora has a line in the last issue of the crossover that I love because it completely sums it up. And she says something akin to, I don't know that this was worth our time. <laughs> and... Uh, and so, uh, yeah, that's 
it's it's really just shown what's been most disappointing about this run on the title completely is that Bendis, whether it's Bendis, whether it's Marvel, whether it's both, Guardians has been thrown in a crossover after crossover after crossover, or tie-in after tie-in after tie-in, and it's just rarely had a chance to have its own voice. And I feel like if this title could really have a chance to have its own voice, and it's very possible the arc it's in right now could be its way back to that, but really it hasn't had a chance to have its own voice, and I really want it to have that because otherwise this is just a run to promote a movie, and I'm really sad that that's probably how it's going to end up being. Yeah, that's that's definitely what it seemed like to me, which is why I never got into it. I, I read the first issue or so, but well, and it was funny to me too that that's that's what this book clearly is is to get people hyped up for the movie. But it's also where they deposit anything they want to. Tr- they don't know where else to put like Angela. <laughs> it's like <laughs> um, but Angela, yeah, they didn't, uh, they're there. like oh, Iron Man's in space. Let's just put him on the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. Total. I will say BS. the um, their upcoming original sin tie-in sounds interesting. About how he and Star Lord and Thanos were brought back to life. Ah. Um, I I started reading this on Marvel Unlimited, so I haven't gotten to this storyline yet. Um, <laughs> it's one of these ones that um, I'll get to eventually. But I have to say, personally, um, I kind of like it. Uh, the so art, far. like they haven't had a bad artist on that book yet. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, uh, I can't remember who started out with it, but they've had Sarah Pacelli on there. Steve, it's just, Steve McNiven. Steve yeah, Steve McNiven, Sarah Pacelli. They've all done fantastic jobs. With yeah, this. Francesco Francavilla filled in yep. for a while. Yeah, and, he did uh, two Infinity tie-ins. Yeah, I, I, I like it so far. I mean, I'll be honest. And Cal and I talked about this yesterday off air. Um, I think Bendis is actually kind of doing some of the best work of his career, um, or at least some of his best work in a long time. Um, yeah, on these, these this Guardians book and on his two X Men titles, um, it's uh, reading all this stuff now. I'm like, man, this stuff reads really well. You know, when you're not waiting monthly for it, maybe. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm really liking it. I think that's it. a fair point because he's he's a decompressed writer. But I, I I'm having a good time with it. I don't know, Cal. You're you're you reading Guardians, man? I can't remember. I read the first trade, and I actually just ordered uh, two days ago uh, the Trial of Jean Grey because I'm reading all new X Men. It probably reads fine as a trade read, but and I'd agree. Like I think this is a run to go back and read and trade, not to be reading it monthly. Uh, I I didn't love it for the same. Didn't love what I read of Guardians for the same reason that I didn't love his Avengers run. Which there's a lot of stuff I like in both, but uh, Bendis has a strong tendency to me to make everything kind of hyper mundane. <laughs> And that works for me really well in the X-Men because that was Claremont's whole shtick too, was kind of turning it into this uh, teen soap opera. And Bendis does that fantastically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for like Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. I was, I don't know, like when, when, when I read a cosmic book, I have certain expectations of like the genre and I think maybe if I go into it just saying like, okay, this is not a cosmic book. This is purposefully trying to be as mundane, as like normal as possible. You have to it, know what problems a tree and a raccoon are going to run into in their daily lives. Yeah, it's, I don't know, like it, it didn't do much for me, but I'm going to revisit it before, before the movie comes out just because I, I have the first trade and yep. there's always that worry that you've dismissed something because it wasn't what you expected rather than a, because it was actually <laughs> not 
very good. That's a good so, point. Yeah. So um, let's uh, let's kind of bookend this one because Cal, I think your choice was pretty along the same lines as as mine <laughs> in a lot of ways. So uh, Cal, what was your biggest disappointment? Uh, mine was indeed similar to yours. It's the other DC Weekly and uh, Batman Eternal, and I have to say for an old school DC fan, like DC has been my jam since I started reading comics. It hurt me that the only place DC had on my list was as biggest disappointment, <laughs> but it did it, it, it earned it. Um, Batman eternal. The thing was, is, uh, uh like Shane, I didn't want to choose something that I thought was really awful but something that was much worse than I had thought it was going to be. Um, Snyder, I don't love his current Batman run. I think I do think Batman the Black Mirror, his Detective Comics run, will probably go down as one of the definitive runs with yep. the character mm-hmm. uh, in about 10, 20 years. Um, but uh, I don't love his stuff with his character, but he's a really fascinating writer and the idea behind Batman eternal, you know, this giant cast battle for the soul of Gotham, um, focus on, you know, give everyone a piece of the pie, you know, Batgirl, Stephanie Gordon, just every, every Gotham character is going to be in this. This is a killer hook for a weekly comic. And the first three weeks, like I, I'm going to say right now, I think Batman eternal number two is currently the worst comic I've read this year. (laughs) It is up there with, and this is another Snyder comic. So I guess when he misses for me, he misses hard. (laughs) Uh, Swamp thing. Number zero is one of the worst comics of the decade for me. Oh, wow. And I, I hated that. That is, that is the first, that is the first one that I just threw away uh, in my (laughs) entire career. I just tossed it in the trash. Wow. Um, Batman Eternal, it's it, it's gotten it got better. It didn't get good enough for me to stick with it, but it started to get better. It started to do some interesting things where uh, every issue was a different genre of story that fit with the character that it was following. But of course, it never resolved anything, and so it was just like, oh, I just read one chapter of this story, and I'm going to get chapter two and six more issues. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it was just a mess. It was just a huge mess to me, and I was really hoping that it would be more than that. I lasted uh, nine issues on Batman Eternal, and I will say that um, it, you know it had a couple of highs here and it had a lot of lows. It was probably the weekly title I was most excited about because, like you said, the setup was the best. Um, the sprawling cast of Gotham. It felt the most like a quote-unquote TV show, sort of like the heyday of 52, but it just wasn't particularly constructed well in that some of its writers are not as strong as some of the others. Like, I would say Scott Snyder overseeing the thing is a nice idea, but everybody below him really isn't up to his same level of talent for the most part. Like, James Tenyon is, you know, forgive me for saying this, a bit of a Scott Snyder impersonator, really. That's all he is. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm not a big fan of, um, who else, John Lehman. Uh, you know, I, I know we've got some friends who listen to him and a big fan of his writing. And maybe Chew is fabulous, but his DC work was not good. 
Um, and so it kind of goes from there. Uh, you know, Kyle Higgins is coming on, and that didn't excite me either. So eventually I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to sort of axe out of this. Because really the pace of this thing was pulverizing, too, on my wallet. Um, you know, $2.99 a week for something that you weren't in love with, not worth the investment, especially when the art was so back and forth. Um, although I will give them credit for having that uh, issue number eight artist who happened to look a whole heck of a lot like um, Chris Burnham. Uh, Ian... Uh, oh, yeah. He was, he was on that Detective Number 27. Uh, he did one of the shorts that was great. Yeah, yeah. he was like one of the, the real impressive artists that was really outside of that DC box. Um, but then, you know, it just turns around and becomes, you know, house-style DC after that. And Batman Eternal is subsequently house-style DC throughout. And I, I, I just don't want to spend the money on a book that looks like that. Yeah. yeah. My, my threshold for, uh, for sticking with a book that I have to pay that much for on a monthly basis, um, you know, it, it's got to be better than that. It's just, and it's not that it was terrible. It's just that it was generic and, and yeah, the, the cost of it was just way too much for what I was getting. And is anybody else reading it right now? Or has anybody stayed with it at this point? I, I, I got off Batman Eternal with one issue. What? Uh, yeah. Man. Smart man. <laughs> I know it's weird me just going on about Future's End and saying I jumped off Batman Eternal after one, but yeah. Well, I think you win in this case. <laughs> <laughs> really no kidding good choice man. you are not bamboozled uh, <laughs> but, uh you know and it's funny i see it on the shelf and i still get tempted like i get like a little bit of an urge to think oh maybe i should pick it up and mi- pick up the things i missed and i'm like no no that's how the terrorists win <laughs> so I, uh, I i guess my thinking in the matter was i already pick up three batman books i don't need another one yeah well and there's certainly better much better batman books out there uh, so the choice is, is definitely easy on that front for me. Wait, wait, which ones? Which well, ones, Harper? <laughs> I would just say Batman. I mean, I love Batman. Um, yeah. But yeah, I... Comics is pretty good. Yeah, I, I stuck with that for a little while. That was It was good for a while, but it was just... Again, it was a thing where it just wasn't kind of above my I'm going to pay for this every month threshold. <laughs> but all right, so moving on, um, let's get to some of our bigger, more exciting, less depressing categories. Um so let's go with our best writer. Um, so this is a, a broad one. This, this spans uh, publishers. Uh, so DC, here's your time to, to cut in since <laughs> I don't think you made any of our positive uh, <laughs> awards this, this uh, week. So um, let's start with uh, Shane. So what was your, uh, who do you think is the best writer so far? The this year? one was tough for me because at first I wanted to just look at what I pull and say, okay, well, if I pull a lot of a certain writer, then that clearly means they're my best writer, right? And it's like, well, maybe not because I, I pull a lot of Charles Soule, or at least I did this year because I got She-Hulk. Uh, he, he started out this year writing Thunderbolts and he just quit about a month ago. And then uh, Superman Wonder Woman. So I was really tempted to say Charles Soule just because I read so much of his stuff. But then I realized, well, I mean, his stuff's good, but I wouldn't say like he's just this phenomenal writer who is just changing the landscape of comics. He's just really good and a really entertaining writer. So I decided to go with Ed Brubaker just because I remembered how much I loved Velvet and I remembered how much I missed that book because it feels like it's been way too long since we've had an issue of Velvet. Um, I guess it does. It did the image thing that Saga started where it takes a break to release a trade and it just has been a while. But uh, yeah, Velvet is a fantastic comic, and Ed Brubaker repartnering with his uh, Captain America buddy Steve Epting have just made that book a-, a joy to read. I mean, 
beyond the whole changing paradigms of what you think a what gender you think a hero should be, much less what age a hero should be. Like he's writing that book with a perfect mix of new ideas as well as a tone that feels so similar to Ian Fleming's take on James Bond that it, it makes it just makes it an absolute joy as a spy thriller to read. And so yeah, Ed Brubaker was my pick. I, I am probably the uh, biggest Ed Brubaker fan you guys know. Um, <laughs> I, I own like everything almost at this point. Matter of fact, I've got some of the stuff he's drawn. <laughs> so <laughs> I've got I got Low Life. Uh, I've got uh, friend, our friends Jesse and John gave us at gave me a copy of At the Seams. Uh, you know, I've got I got a lot of Brubaker stuff in my library and all of those nice white uh, hardcover editions as well. And uh, so, yeah, uh, another great year for him. I mean, he's—I mean, he's been on a roll since what, two thousand four, two thousand five, I think. Since since he jumped over to Marvel, and then, uh, you know, going on to Image. I mean, he's just—I mean, not not a bad issue in the bunch, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, Velvet Velvet's another winner. Fatal's about to wrap up. It's it's just been an awesome year for the guy. Yeah, I, I yeah. wholeheartedly agree. Same same here. I mean. He's he's been phenomenal for about as long as he's been writing. I mean, even even before Captain America, there was a Sleeper, which is one of my favorite uh, Wildstorm books of all time. Um, and uh, I don't know if this one ups you on your Brubaker collection, uh, <laughs> Kyle, but I also have all three of his Captain America omnibuses and both Daredevil ones. Oh no, that's uh, that, I don't have the omnibuses, but I've got all the trades and the issues. It 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 blew my mind to realize the omnibuses, like the the first Captain America omnibus. I think it's it was last time I checked, it was selling for like two hundred and fifty bucks on eBay. Wow. Yeah, it, it, I was I was tempted. <laughs> it's stunning that um, Marvel hasn't actually reprinted those omnibuses in full, given the popularity of that movie too. Um, yeah. Uh, they, they they put out that hardcover, The Winter Soldier, but mm-hmm. I mean they they didn't. That's do, all they did, really. Yeah, they didn't do much else. And the funny thing is, but Death of Captain America is the best part of that story, really. Yeah. So to be fair, like that that runs not incredibly hard to find either. Right. Yeah. But no, I if if I had thought about Brubaker when I was making my list, I probably would have chosen him. But then I saw someone else did, and I was like, Gold, <laughs> he's on. <laughs> he um, made the list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've I've loved Velvet. I've loved Criminal. Uh, Fatal took a little while for me to get into, but by the end of its second story arc, I was I was sold. I'm just yeah, Brubaker is killing it. Yep, Fatal. Yeah, we'll talk about that more later. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Kyle, how about you go next uh, with your favorite writer? All right, so there was a lot of people I could have gone with, honestly. Um, I considered Alish Cott, whose Zero has been one of the breakout hits for me, uh, maybe my favorite spy comic ever um, in a long line of spy comics that I love. Um, I also could have considered Mark Wade, whose Daredevil is still consistently pound for pound, maybe the best superhero comic I buy. Uh, I could have considered... Uh, you know, Ed Brubaker, of course, but I figured that might have been too predictable of me. <laughs> so I did not go that route. Instead, I went the other predictable route, which is repeating uh, my best writer of last year. <laughs> uh, so far, he's still winning the race, and that's Matt Fraction. Now, um, 
last year, Matt Fraction sort of became the writer who um, was writing interesting Marvel comics. Uh, he was whether he was writing books like Hawkeye and FF, and um, really uh, finishing up his Iron Invincible Iron Man run. I mean, he was the guy that uh, was was uh, of all Marvel writers, he had one of the more interesting voices that you could kind of turn to and say these are definitely fraction comics this year he's become the guy that is writing the kind of comic books that he wants to write basically eschewing the big two altogether and uh dropping down to just hawkeye at marvel after he dropped out of inhuman and inhumanity um he's writing hawkeye when it comes out (laughs) uh he's also got satellite sam and sex criminals and uh, coming this year, I've already seen a little bit of it. Odyssey starts in November, which looks fabulous. And uh, Casanova Volume 4. And I don't know if you, any of you guys heard Casanova, but I got to say, I love that comic book. So it is Fraction absolutely unhinged. And I feel like the rest of this year, we're going to get more of that. I mean, Satellite Sam is his ode to Howard Chaikin. Um, sex criminals is just bonkers and fun and clearly maybe his most popular comic ever outside of Hawkeye. So it's been a good year for him. He's got a very, he's got a really varied, uh, bibliography at this point. Um, and it's, his body of work is just really impressive. Uh, this year it's hard for me to really give the nod to anybody, but Matt Fraction. He's definitely got a lot of really good stuff coming out. Um, I, I I still need to try Satellite Sam again. That was one. I the concept I is so that. exciting yeah, to me, but um, I just couldn't I couldn't get into it. I was very confused and I had trouble telling who was who. And but I I, I, I need to sit down and figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll third you two on that on Satellite Sam. <laughs> yeah, I, everybody says that, but I gotta say, man, and, and I know that this is like. When I went and met the man, all right, uh, at Heroes Con, Harper was standing in line with me. Um, I, when I told him that I was a, sa- a fan of Satellite Sam, what was really cool was you could see his eyes sort of light up because he probably never hears that. <laughs> and maybe that's with some reasons because it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit more of an inaccessible book. But, uh, and it's not typical comics. It's like a soap opera comic, you know. Um, but it's... To me, it just hits like the funny bone that I like, you know, that sort of Mad Men sort of um, black and white 50s TV vibe. I mean, it, it's really cool. And it's a bit of a why done it. So um, that's exciting for me as well. I don't know, guys. There, there's a diagram up front. Uh, cite that. And then you can identify the characters. It's <laughs> really know. annoying. Like every two pages, I got to turn back to the front and look at who that is. You'll learn. You'll learn. Yeah, I know. I'll just, I'll just go back and get that comic and trade it what I'm going to end up doing. I, I don't think it'll make its way back to my poll. Um, I will say, though, uh, I just, just recently read two Fraction books that have been much hyped. Uh, I read the first trade of FF, although I will note, shame on you, Marvel, for making the first trade of FF start with number four, because you have to buy the first trade of Fantastic Four, which is absolute crap, That's to get the first yeah. three issues of FF. Yeah. Yeah, that sucked. That's, I saw that when it happened, and I still think that's like one of the biggest mistakes they made. And, and they put the cover for number one on the cover of the of the trade that starts with number four. That's fucked up. <laughs> yep. Yep. But uh, I actually honestly had to flip through it and make sure it wasn't a misprint on the back of the book saying it was it contained issues four through eight. Um, but yeah, still a great comic, although I do think uh, All Red is the main reason that comic is so successful. But... Um, yeah, I read Sex Criminals was the other one, and I do feel it is a 
quite overhyped. I don't think it is the best comic being written right now. But uh, Sex Criminals is certainly quite amazing. So I, I can definitely agree that Matt Fraction is one of the best writers around right now. That's definitely one of the most fun books on my poll for sure. That's yeah, maybe, I, maybe the only book I laugh out loud at every time I read it. Yeah, <laughs> I can definitely appreciate a, a comic that has a very odd concept, but then also doesn't take itself too seriously. Well, plus lots of dick jokes. So, you know, that too. <laughs> and I think what, what makes me lo- really love sex criminals is that as weird as it gets, uh, it, it, it does seem to be, taking its central conceit seriously. I mean, like it, it, it does like John and Susie are really well fleshed out characters for what everyone assumed was going to be kind of like a sex comedy book. Like it's, I don't know. It's, it, 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 it's a much, much more sophisticated book than it was sold as. (laughs) And, uh, I think that that tone clashes sometimes with its, uh, with Fraction's overt love of goofiness. But I mean, it, it, I love it. It just, it goes right, right to my heart. You know, who's a really fleshed out character, Michael White and Satellite Sam. And (laughs) let me also just say, if you guys like dick jokes, Satellite Sam, Lots of blowjobs. So (laughs) you can can put that on the back of the book. Silicon Valley already gave us the platonic ideal of the dick joke this year. I'm, I'm, I'm sated. I'm done. I, I think I'm done with dick jokes after, after Silicon Valley. So, so they've moved to blowjobs now in Satellite Sam because when I dropped that book, they were just doing uh, jerking off jokes. So. Oh, no. Not just, not just blowjobs. Uh, also, uh, there ain't just male-female blowjobs either. So it's, uh, there's, there's all kinds of fun stuff happening on Satellite Sam, everybody. So there's your there's your cover there's your cover blurb yeah. image. Everyone Lots of blowing everyone. <laughs> Lots of blowjobs, Kyle Pinion. Yeah. Uh, I'll take it. <laughs> Have you uh. considered writing for Mr. Skin? <laughs> <laughs> it, it would be a gig, that's for sure. So on that uh, interesting note, uh, uh, Cal, who who is your favorite writer so far? Uh, well, for me, I, I kind of picked. Um, this was almost a comeback choice. Uh, I, I chose Warren Ellis, who really hasn't been doing as much, like, I guess, big mainstream comics work for, for a little while. Uh, like, I haven't seen, a, seen him around. And he went through a period, uh, a period of a good long while where he had a really hard time uh, finishing anything. And... Um, I picked up Moon Knight largely because I was just curious, you know, I mean, I hadn't seen Ellis doing much lately. Uh, Moon Knight as a character had always interested me, but I'd never liked many of his books. Um, And it just blew me away. I mean, every issue of Moon Knight is a, I mean, he, he, he re-envisioned the character completely. He fixed a lot of my biggest problems with him um, on a conceptual level, he gave him along with, uh, along with, um, Declan Shalvey and Jordi Belair gave him, uh, three amazing new or, uh, amazing new looks. Um, but I mean, just every story, it's almost global frequency on a superhero level. 
and Global Frequency is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, and so Moon Knight really blew me away. And then he launched Trees over at Image, joined the Image Revolution. And uh, I, I mean, that's just two issues in, but I've liked them both. They've been moody, atmospheric, a little bit creepy. And so, yeah, I, I was super excited to see the return of one of my all-time favorite writers after a few years being absent from my from my pull reliably. You know, uh, you can't go wrong when the guy ends up fighting Morris Day at the top of a building uh, in a raid-style battle. So uh, for that alone, I give you props for the Warren Ellis love. Um, the uh, Moon Knight's awesome, man. I, it's a really good book. It reminds me in its story structure a lot of Planetary. Uh, particularly the first half, which I know is like catnip for Harper. Mm. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's 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 a tremendous book. Trees is just getting started, so I, I you know I'm not sure what I think of it yet. But so far, it's it's got a couple of interesting issues, and I like its yeah, ensemble storytelling. I, I like the first issue of Trees, but I just it, it didn't like blow me away enough to keep picking it up. But I definitely love the concept. Um. And I will say Supreme Blue Rose could be very promising. Um, yeah. Start, I think, does that start up this month, I think? I hope so. <laughs> so there's that. Um, I didn't read his Avengers Assemble stuff, though, what he did with Kelly Sue DeConnick. Yeah. And I, I, I guess that was technically last year when that stuff came out. But I think, I think it was actually January of this year actually okay got it i i, I don't know if that was I, I any good but i didn't read it either i thought that was a really bizarre team up but <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i figure warren ellis has got to be uh, harper's version of ed brubaker so um. <laughs> well, uh, I, I will say for uh, my plug to plug my uh, favorite marvel book of all time like this series of all time uh warren ellis's run on thunderbolts is amazing oh yeah that was very good and he, uh, he also, if you want to look up on YouTube, he has a fun story about Alan Moore. <laughs> I bet, I'll bet he does. <laughs> I, uh, it's funny that it, Planetary is, I've said it a lot on this podcast, I'm sure. It's my favorite series of all time, but I really have not read that much other uh, Warren Ellis stuff, um, which is weird. I just haven't gotten around to it. But um, I have not read Moon Knight. I've heard such good things. I'm definitely, the trade is on my, on my wish list. I definitely need to get that. Um, and Trees, I think, has been... I'm still a little unsure of it just because of how kind of um, spread out and slow the first two issues have been. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I just feel like um, I have to get a little more of it before I can really see what's going on. But um, I like the concept. Uh, I think it's really, I think he's really good at tackling those kind of big ideas and seeing how they affect kind of society as a whole. It's not just like, you know, there's aliens and they invaded. It's like, there's these aliens, but we don't really know. And they've been here for a long time. And here's how things have changed because of that. This really subtle changes to, to kind of uh, politics and the economy. And so it's really kind of interesting. So I'll be interested to see where it goes for sure. Harper, you got to get on that moon night, man. I, know. Really. I mean, there's no excuse. None. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I will. I will for sure. Um, so as far as myself, um, I, I kind of did the same thing that Shane said. I was, I was looking through the stuff I've been pulling for this year and seeing kind of whose books I'm getting the most. And, uh, there was one person who I was pulling way more than anybody else's and, um, that's, uh, Rick Remender. So, uh, he's just got, I mean, I almost feel like I can just list out the stuff he's doing right now. And that justifies my, my pick. There's so much good stuff. Um, he's doing Uncanny Avengers, which I think is, uh, easily the best 
uh, Avengers, big Marvel Universe, big idea book um, that's going on. I love it to death. Um, uh, Deadly Class, which we've already kind of talked about. Uh, Winter Soldier, The Bitter March, which just ended this week uh, really, really well, I went at. It was a great uh, conclusion. Um, that was just a really kind of out of nowhere book, this great stylish, um, you know, kind of 60s spy story with, you know, great covers, great art. Um, I loved that one as well. Um, I would not wipe my ass with Black Science, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> I actually like that one uh, a lot too. That's very up my alley with, um, you know, uh, parallel worlds and, and big science. And, and I got to say, uh, there's some, some serious ballsy writing going on in, in that series. Uh, I won't spoil it, but some uh, serious stuff happening at the end, end of the first arc. Um, and then uh, his Captain America is probably my least favorite of what he's got going on, but I, I still am enjoying it. Um, I think it's really interesting, but it's had a lot of um, decent to bad art and a lot of just kind of changes in the art that I was not thrilled about. Uh, but I think the ideas he's putting forth are pretty interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm still pretty invested in that book as well. So the guy's just writing a ton of stuff that I'm reading. Um, and I've been a big fan for a long time. So he is definitely my pick. I didn't buy that last issue of the Winter Soldier book. So it ended good. It did. I like the ending a lot. All right. Maybe I'll go. If you're not familiar with Rick Remender and you're a listener, uh, you probably saw his unwarranted hashtag that appeared this week. Oh, about the hashtag fire Rick Remender. Oh, uh, something happens in his Captain America run, and people thought it was rape, but it really wasn't. And oh, then it ended so up just ridiculous. being a bunch of people who haven't even read his Captain America going on about it. Oh, some people need to uh, read more science fiction and understand the difference. It's not like the girl got hit with a ray gun that aged her, it's that she was <laughs> in a different universe where time was running differently. So it's not like she's not actually the age she is. She is. It was, that's, the whole thing was bizarre. I cannot believe that was a, a controversy in the least. Uh, I will just say that guy will be off the book in like six months anyway. Uh, I'm sad to say. I mean, uh, yeah. It, it, well, considering there's a rumor about what Marvel's going to be doing in about six months, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, more than that, yeah. It, it, it. I mean, I don't want to get bogged into it, but it, it's a, it's more a question of sales, really, is is the thing. And it's Captain Captain America's got to sell more than thirty thousand copies. So. Yeah. Indeed. The Rick Remender loves good, man. I mean, I pretty much said everything I could say about it. Um, I mean, it's he's, he's a little hit and miss for me, but when he hits, he hits hard. So, uh, yeah, Deadly Class. I'm, I'm on it. I promise. Um, so speaking of Deadly Class and, and great art, um, what about uh, our favorite artists? So, uh, Kyle, how about you, you go uh, first there? Yeah. Okay. So again, many options I could have gone with for favorite artists. Uh, you guys know I love Nick Patara with all my heart. Um, but he did not make it this year. Uh, uh, Ryan Brown, another uh, you know uh, stunning artist, uh, big fan of Trad Moore, uh, who I think is the only reason to buy all new Ghost Rider. And of course, uh, you know there's all, there's never a year when I don't want to praise David Aha. Um, but I think this year the best artist for me is the guy who has been the most consistent artist. Uh, who is never hasn't missed an issue yet, and every issue seems to be more beautiful than the next, and that is Nick Dragata, the artist on East of West. Mm. Um, each issue is just a masterwork, really. Um, and it, it, he's really seemed to come a long way since his days of working on FF, where his work wasn't bad, but it was a little pencil-heavy, and that may have been the cause of the inker that he was working with. 
Um, but east of west is just gorgeous to behold. I mean, just these beautiful vistas of of weird western sci-fi and all these just unbelievably drawn characters. I mean, my favorite character is still the bartender when his eye patch opens up and he has this eyeball that like crawls out. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just such cool stuff. And the way that uh, the four horsemen are designed is like these three children. And, of course, Death as sort of, uh, you know, a Clint Eastwood sort of character, uh, you know, similar to uh, the Pale Rider or somebody like that uh, by way of like, you know, David Bowie or Marilyn Manson or something. Uh, if you all remember uh, late 90s Marilyn Manson when he had the white hair. Anyway, um, yeah, throwbacks, man, I'm telling you. Anyway. Um, Nick Dragata is awesome, and I am so glad that he is working on a book where he can just go balls out uh, rather than uh, you know something that's like big corporate IP stuff. It's 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 amazing, and I'm glad he's got a canvas to work on, especially uh, with a writer like Hickman who just lets him do his thing. Yeah, that's that's a book that for me. Um, Every month when it comes out, I'm like, okay, this is this is going to be my last issue. Like, let me read through it, and unless it really blows me away, like, I'm not going to stick with it. Um, just because I'm not, I'm just not a fan of Hickman's writing in general. But in this book, I think Hickman comes up with a an interesting concept, and then I don't care at all about the dialogue for the rest of the book. <laughs> there's a there's an interesting idea, and then uh, Dragota just goes insane on it, and it's it's amazing. Um, the last two issues in particular have been really really fun. Um, the uh, the shootout kind of uh, in in the last issue was was a blast and and really kind of action packed and and then the uh, the kind of um, the council or whatever the debate and the the bomb that was in the guy and everything in the issue before that was just totally insane and really that's all to, uh, for me that's all Dragota is what makes that all work really really well yeah I mean uh, the the text sometimes is gobbledygook. Um, particularly the, uh, the scene where the, uh, death's assistant, whose name I don't even remember. I mean, names are almost meaningless to me in this book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's like the son, the son of the chieftain, you know, and he's like fighting the demon and you're like, he's, he's giving this whole monologue. I'm like, I don't care about that. I just like looking at the pretty pictures and, uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, some pretty stunning stuff. For sure. So, uh, Cal, how about your uh, favorite artist? Uh, well, there were... There were a lot of, uh, that was a difficult category this year. <laughs> um, I really thought about doing Javier Polito, who, as I mentioned, absolutely loving on She-Hulk. Um, I still think that uh, he has done probably two of the best two-page spreads I've seen uh, in years. And I think he did them within, like, Within a, just within one or two issues, um, Chip Zdarsky, I loved. There were there were a lot of uh, a lot of artists that just really nailed an aesthetic that I liked. But I had to go with Emma Rios uh, for Pretty Deadly, and um, Pretty Deadly. I really wanted to put on my end of the year list last year, and. I like it was just like two issues had come out when I was making my list. I was like, I can't put something on with two issues. It just, I just can't do it. So two issues have come out this year and the series is doing that image hiatus, except uh, I have no idea when it's coming back. Um, but 
Emma Rios, just all through Pretty Deadly, really blew me away. But even just in the last two issues, uh, her duel that she drew between uh, Fox and Ginny was amazing. Uh, Pretty Deadly is a book that I think lives or dies by its by by its aesthetic, by how it looks, uh, because DeConnick's going for such a fan, just uh, kind of fanciful, uh, kind of ethereal tone, and Rios just seamlessly blends kind of a uh, uh, comics, modern comics conventions with a genre that really doesn't get any love anymore, the weird Western. And it just, it just blew me away. Uh, I've liked Rios for a while, but uh, if there's any justice at all, like the, to me, her work on pretty deadly was like superstar. She should be, she should be getting all the calls. Yeah, I, I I love it, man. I I finally read Pretty Deadly, and it's in completion. Uh, like maybe a month ago. Um, I, I stacked all five issues in front of me just to read it because it's one of those books you can't really read. And like once a month, it's like, ugh, I don't know what just happened. It's like each <laughs> issue sort of unfolds upon the one previous, and yeah. you learn more about the mythology. But Emma Rios was the thing that kept drawing me back, even when I had a lot of question marks. Eventually, I got into it, but. Rios's art, the action there is just unbelievably kinetic. I mean, it's it's stunning. Though I, no one can draw a billowy uh, a billowy like cloak better than Emma <laughs> Rios. I, I have to say, it's 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 really amazing and sort of her characters are sort of vampire hunter D ish, you know. And I I, I love it. Uh, it's funny we both picked the weird westerns as our favorite artists. Uh, yeah, that's that's ironic. I think in a way, uh, but we also sort of don't really, uh, you know, we, not that we discard the story, but it seems secondary to the actual aesthetic qualities of the books. Yeah. I yeah. haven't actually read the book, but, um, I mean, every, everything I've heard and the, the bits of it that I've seen are just absolutely gorgeous. That, that'd definitely be my reason for picking it up if, if I do. Um, so, uh, what about Shane? What do you, what do you like art wise so far this year? Art's really hard for me. Um, like I can definitely know when art's good and when it's bad, but it's really hard for me to critique art just because maybe it's because I can't draw. So I'm just, it's hard for me to like say somebody's a good artist or a bad artist, but I don't know. It's just art's really hard for me to critique, but uh, yeah, I, it was pretty easy for me to pick my favorite artist for this year. Um, I know all of you, or at least I know for sure Harper and uh, Kyle were uh, on the Mike Allred train last year with FF and, I, I just could not jump on that book because I hated Fantastic Four so much that I just couldn't justify getting another uh, book in that world at the time. But going back and rereading it this week, I, I was kicking myself for not picking it up when it was coming out. Um, but yeah, I picked Mike Allred for my favorite artist this year, uh, or so far this year, and it's entirely because of Silver Surfer. And yes, I Dan Slott's hit or miss with me. S- Superior Spider-Man kind of fell apart a bit. Amazing Spider-Man's been very ho-hum so far, but Silver Surfer with his approach of making the Surfer basically the Doctor Who of the Marvel Universe has worked really well, but the main reason that book works is because Mike Allred and Laura Allred on the art and the colors, respectively, are just knocking that comic out of the park. Like, everything is so weird, and it's almost got this Dr. Seuss approach of there's no straight line anywhere, and just that approach to that series just makes it makes the concept that's already pretty interesting makes the writing and the story even better because it's it's just really fun comics to read every month 
Yeah, I mean, I, he's by far and away my favorite artist of all time. Um, and I, I actually wasn't reading the FF stuff just because I, I don't have any interest in, in that that group of okay, characters. Okay, so I guess it was just but, Kyle then that was going on and on about FF. So. Yeah, 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 that was me. I mean, Aura's awesome. Um, I will say that I'm not, like, in love with Silver Surfer right now. Um, I, I mean, the Doctor Who thing is fine. Uh, I mean, I like Doctor Who on Doctor Who. But it kind of feels like maybe Silver Surfer has lost some of its identity because it's so wrapped into this uh, pastiche of Doctor Who. Yeah. So he's definitely not as introspective as he used to be. Yeah, and I don't know. That just seems kind of false for Silver Surfer. I, I mean, I don't. Again, I don't mind it because you know who was buying a Silver Surfer book uh, when it was a Silver Surfer book? Not many people <laughs> when Jim Starlin was doing it, but or uh, you know any of the other guys that have done Silver Surfer books, but. Um, uh, you know, Allred's art is what I like, and I, I like that it has personality. I just wish it was a more Norrin Rad personality and not a Matt Smith one. You know what I mean? It, right now, I just feel Stephen Moffat all over this book, not really. <laughs> or Dan Slott wishing he were Stephen Moffat. <laughs> yeah, which is the one problem I have with it. But that's that. that again, that that that's no uh, statement on Allred, who's continually doing fabulous work. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Silver Surfer. I like it quite a bit. Um, I haven't written off the introspective bits yet, in part just because all we have is the first arc. And it was a three-issue arc, I, I believe. Yeah. And uh, it was so adventure. Like, it was mm. it was very much like cosmic adventure. And I, I'm, I'm, I, can, I can live with that. I, I do hope that they get back to that. But in the meantime... As long as Allred's on that book, I am sold. Uh, he's done some great kind of Kirby-influenced stuff, but with his own spin. And I believe his wife is his colorist, and she she knows, like, they are a fantastic team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really hard to imagine that book being nearly as good without them doing the art. And I yeah. think it's it's interesting. We all seem to have chosen as our best artist an artist who is basically the reason we like a book. <laughs> I mean, that's our, our our theme seems to be they saved a book from <laughs> from a cancellation. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's definitely one. I'm reading it because of Mike Allred, but I happen to love the concept as well. But the stuff he's doing on on Silver Surfer right now is just. It's gorgeous and it's fun. It's a blast. Yep. So definitely top of my list as well. Um, and I, I thought about uh, choosing that as mine too, but um, I actually went with a very predictable choice uh, for, for me. <laughs> for anybody who uh, uh, reads my uh, covers articles every week, uh, this person makes it in pretty much every week. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I chose Francesco Francavilla. Um, he's been one of my favorite artists for a while, but um, uh, on top of the seems like thousands of covers for every publisher that he does every month. Um, you know, regulars and variants, these great ideas, just super classy, um, you know, nostalgia pieces in a lot of cases. Um, he's doing what I think is maybe the best drawn book out there right now, which is uh, Afterlife with Archie, which I, I know I've gushed about uh, many times, but it's been a while. So um, it's, uh, the book is written very well, but uh, Frank Avi is what totally sells that book. Um, like you said, Cal, that's it. Not that it necessarily saves the book, but it is. It's definitely eighty percent of of why I read it. Um, the he's got such a unique look and a and a great, um, very unique tone. I think, and his his color palette has a lot to do with it. He colors his own stuff. Um, 
but it just feels so like every time I read that book, it feels like I'm reading the first issue again when it came out, like right before Halloween. Um, it just, I, I get in that mood. I, you know, I start to wonder if the leaves are falling off the trees outside. Cause it just really puts me in that mood. And it, he's got such a good way of um, getting that kind of nostalgic, uh, you know, old school horror look. Um, just wonderful illustration. Uh, definitely my favorite of the year. Yeah, I almost picked it up uh, after Life with Archie at the store the other day, uh, and I didn't uh, just because. <laughs> first out, so. I know, and it's cheap. I mean, it's it's yeah. there there. There's really no excuse not to get it. I I'll get it eventually. I'd like to read it um, just because of the art, but also because I'm I'm interested in what Archie Comics is doing right now um, with like Life with Archie and After Life with Archie, and now the recently announced as of today. Uh, Dark Circle comics, which I guess is their adult take on the Red Circle characters, uh, which could go either way, honestly. Um, Yeah, it's like the Shield and the Fox and all those. The ones that DC tried to reboot uh, three or four years ago. Yeah, yeah. Also, used to. I don't know if any of you guys remember Impact Comics from about twenty years ago, but that was uh, the Fly and all those types of characters. They. yeah, they're they're all under the red circle banner. Um, but anyway, yeah, Archie's doing interesting stuff. Um, you know, will I ever go and read it? Maybe, maybe not. But Afterlife with Archie, I, I will pick that up just to see the Francovia art, if nothing else. Yeah, I I actually just grabbed that. I was at Barnes and Noble for their Criterion sale, oh, yeah. and I was uh, holding back. I wasn't spending too much, uh, which is which is relative during that sale. <laughs> But um, I had like another another coupon and there was there was like I wanted to limit myself and I saw Afterlife with Archie and grabbed it up. So I'm I'm, I'm going to start it pretty soon. I'm excited after uh, all the praise that I've seen from it from from you and really everywhere online. I read the first few issues. So, yeah, I'll definitely be getting that trade. Yeah, I, I, I'm waiting for them. I'd really like uh, a really nice hardback of it. I was surprised they didn't at first, but m- maybe Archie doesn't do that regularly. I'm not sure. No, they um, never do. They never do a hardback ever. Ah, uh, well, we'll see. One wonderful artist. He's clearly one of uh, one of the guys we all all like. So I I, I picked a good one. I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, next, um, I want to hit a category that uh, I think doesn't get a whole lot of attention sometimes when, when we're kind of doing these sort of you know year end or, or mid year awards is um, one shots and original graphic novels. So, you know, the, the weird stuff uh, that, that, you know, doesn't really match with everything else. Uh, and that uh, I think I could safely say that turned out true with uh, our picks here. We've, we've got some very interesting choices. So um, let's, uh, let's start with uh, Cal. Uh, well, again, while I was at the Criterion sale, I was actually waiting to meet up with a friend for lunch and, uh, looking for something to read. So I went over to their graphic novel section. I was just going to pull off some random Marvel or DC book, but uh, an Archaea book called uh, Interesting Drug caught my eye. And, uh, you know, I mean, call something Interesting Drug. I, I'm curious. And uh, I grabbed it off the shelf and uh, sat down next to next to the shelf started reading and I really, really enjoyed myself. It took a very different, uh, different track to time travel stories that I'm used to. Uh, I love time travel stories. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of them, 
but most people try to do either the kind of Stephen Moffat, like hyper plotty thing or kind of a very technical uh, kind of action thriller genericness. And uh, what drew me to Interesting Drug, which was written by uh, Sean Manning and drawn by Anna, um, I believe it's pronounced Vizic. Um, not 100% sure on that, though. Um, but uh, what really drew me to their story was that it focused a lot on kind of the emotional effects of time travel and the way that society is so obsessed with its past. We're living in a very nostalgic culture. And so if you had the ability to actually go back and relive those glory years or better yet, make different decisions than the one you made, uh, it would be very difficult not to take them. And kind of the crux of the story is that they found a drug that lets you travel back in your own timeline to your own body. And, um, They've, they've started mass producing it. And so society kind of becomes hooked on its own past and begins to kind of collapse under the weight of no one wanting to, everyone just deciding that they wanted to live in the past rather than build a new future. And uh, yeah, it, it was a very, it was a very pleasant surprise. Uh, weird ethereal uh, art that didn't always work for me as well as I wanted, uh, especially in the design of two of the major characters who looked way too similar for me. But um, honestly, like days later, I was I, I, like, I'm, and I'm still, I'm still thinking about the story. I'm still kind of uh, um, still kind of thinking about some of the ramifications and what they were trying to say. So yeah, it's, it's stuck with me. That sounds really cool. Um, and I haven't heard of that, but I, that's definitely something I'm going to have to put on my wish list because that's, I mean, I, I totally, I totally get the the feeling where you just kind of pick something up that just sort of, you don't know anything about, but it just looks kind of interesting and then turns out to be one of your favorite things. I've, I've had that experience a lot with comics. That's one of the things that kind of got me in in the first place. So definitely looking into that. Um, so, uh, since we're, we've all read this book and, you know, we all have so much to contribute about it. <laughs> I think this is, uh, this is going to be an ongoing theme with this category. Yeah, I think concept, <laughs> I, that, that concept sounds interesting. I don't know if I would, if it was something that were to actually exist, I don't know that I would take up that offer. Yeah. The, 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 the big crux of it is, is that, uh, it lets you, it lets you change what you did. Oh, uh, Okay. And uh, that seems to splinter off into a consistent alternate timeline. And so one of the, one of the major characters goes back and like saves his sister from dying when he was very young and other people try and resuscitate failed careers or, you know, just make up the decisions that they've just been kind of quietly regretting all their lives and kind of having to confront that ability there. So let's, um, let's say Kyle, what was your, uh, uh, one shot or OGN for for this year. So I've been going back and uh, reading all of the Love and Rockets books that I've missed uh, throughout my life, and there's a lot of them. There's about thirty years worth. But uh, Fanographics, you know, they've been uh, pretty pretty awesome in that they've reprinted huge chunks of them in these really nice, attractive soft covers. Anyhow, um, the 
recently Fantagraphics had put out a hardcover this year of some of the Jaime Hernandez stories uh, entitled The Love Bunglers. And this is a difficult book to recommend because I, I think the power of this book is actually uh, inherent in your reading the stuff that comes before. Um, Love and Rockets is built in a way that uh, Gilbert Hernandez writes a sort of telenovela soap opera story with a lot of magical realism about a town called Palomar in Central America, whereas Jaime Hernandez writes about a uh, Latin suburb in Southern California called Hopper's 13. And Jaime's story uh, actually deals with people aging in real time. So by the time The Love Bunglers comes out, these girls that were like, you know, 17, 18 at the beginning of uh, this Hopper 13 saga are actually now in their like late 40s uh, in uh, Love Bunglers. And the story sort of centers on this lady, Maggie, who's an apartment manager. Uh, and she used to be a young punk rocker who also was a mechanic. And now she uh, lives a much quieter life in a very fantastic world. And it's literally a story about trying to reconnect with lost loves and finding love in your middle ages. I mean, which we know is a very difficult thing for somebody who uh, has experienced the loss or a breakup uh, later in life. So I don't want to say too much because I'd be ranting on about something that a lot of people know about. Um, the, The thing that's important to note about Jaime Hernandez's work is that much like my best writer, uh, who I mentioned, uh, Matt Fraction, this is actually the work that he said changed his life, uh, Love and Rockets, and particularly the work of Jaime Hernandez. So if you have an interest in it, uh, please go visit our recent comics buyer's guide, which I actually recommended the first trade of Love and Rockets, which was Jaime's first trade. And, uh, you know, buy everything in between uh, if you happen to like that. And then you'll lead up to the Love Bunglers, and then you'll thank me later. Uh, I just love that fabulous. name. Yeah, yeah. It's, like it's it sounds great. like something that would be totally inappropriate, but I love that name. <laughs> yeah, it's it's also some of the most beautiful art I've ever seen uh, in a comic book. I mean, Jaime is a tremendous artist. Uh, very clean, very. Uh, it's cl- clearly he's he inspired guys like Mike Allred. Mm-hmm. I would say mm-hmm. um, he's sort of like this this middle ground between Kirby and Allred, and uh, it's just beautiful, heavy line work. Very realistic-looking female characters, and really well-portrayed female characters. Not, you know, they they aren't just um, you know stick figures with boobs. Um, these are these are these are living, breathing people, and uh, you know it, this kind of stuff needs to be applauded, uh, particularly when you're dealing with minority female characters, as everyone involved in love, the Love and Rockets world, at least in their central figures, are all Latin American. Um. Did you uh, read, it was with my favorite uh, OGNs from last year, uh, Julio's Day? Yeah, yeah, I've got it, actually. It's, uh, that's, that, that's Gilbert's uh, big work yep. from last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after reading that, I definitely decided to check out more of their stuff. I'm, st- I'm not quite as caught up as you are, but I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. It's, so I'm excited to build up to uh, the Love Bunglers. It, it's a big task honestly and not yes. pr- pretty much everything is in print still but occasionally fanographics kind of lapses especially after the passing of Ken, Kim Thompson who was the longtime yeah. editor of Love and Rockets but um yeah it's 
it's it's big stuff to deal with. But I mean, there there are some nice jumping on points now, and they try to make it as easy as possible for people who want to dig into it. It starts off a little tough to get into, where Maggie's like dealing with dinosaurs and professional wrestlers, um, which you know professional wrestlers big are big in this in the Spanish community, um, but. This is uh, it's it's well worth it. It's it's some of the centrally most important comics of independent comics ever. So uh, yeah, do that and pick up Marble Season while you're at it too, uh, Cal. That's another great Gilbert Hernandez work from last year. I, I definitely will. I, I got lucky actually. Someone like maybe ten years ago lent me uh, Locus, the first huge hardcover. Yeah, and. Uh, then I just never saw them again, so I still have it. And I recently dug it out, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to sit down with that. Locust 2 is in print, so if you ever have money burning a hole in your pocket, that, uh, that would be the next logical thing to buy. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, the, the Hernandez bros are, have been a blind spot in my, uh, my comics knowledge for a long time. That definitely needs to be corrected. Um, I've read one, one piece on God and Science that was... It was good. I enjoyed it. I liked the art more than I did the story. Um, I liked the, the Mike Allred um, comparisons definitely um, definitely makes sense. I, I see a lot of that in, in their stuff. So definitely uh, one I want to look out for as well. So um, Shane, what is, uh, what's your pick for uh, OGN or one-shot? I kind of had to cheat a bit because honestly with comics, I don't read a ton of one-shots. I think the most recent one-shot I read was like last year when a Black Dynamite one-shot came out. Because I loved that movie so much, so I just, of course, had to read the comic. Um, yeah, and with OGNs, I really don't read a ton of those either. I mean, y'all know I read a ton of comics, but really when I pick up trades, it's like series that I've missed out on or something like that. Like, I've been reading through Preacher lately, and it's uh, funny that I mentioned Preacher. So uh, the comic that I went with was a mini series that's going to, uh, according to the link that Kyle put on the article, the trade comes out in October, which seems a little odd because the series just ended a month and a half ago. Um, it seems odd it would, they would wait for that long. You would think an August or September release. But uh, yeah, Rover Red Charlie is my pick. It's by Garth Ennis of uh, Preacher fame. So uh, definitely know that going in because uh, there, there are a few very uh, graphic things that happen. But the idea of Rover Red Charlie is that an unknown apocalypse kind of takes out most of humanity. You never really find out what this apocalypse is. Uh, but it's definitely something that makes humans just go insane. And we don't really get an exact definition of what it is, and that's because Rover, Red, Charlie are the names of our three protagonists, and they are all three dogs. And so it's just this idea of these dogs figuring out why the world's ending and figuring out why these people who have provided for them so much are suddenly not able to do that, and they're suddenly these domesticated dogs are having to figure out a way to provide for themselves. And so they go on this journey to find what they call the big splash, and it ends up being the Pacific Ocean. And uh, it's just them going on this journey over six issues to try and figure out what's wrong with the world and can they ever find a way to survive for themselves. And so you have Rover, who's a basset hound. uh, And of course, because he's a basset hound, he's British. Uh, Although you don't really know that until Charlie, who's our main character, who is a I want to say he's not a seeing eye dog, but he's just like a a helper dog. And then you have Red, who's kind of the lovable, stupid dog of the group. And he looks about a bit like a golden retriever, Um, although he's very, very red, obviously, from his name. 
And, uh, yeah, it's just about these three dogs going on this journey. Garth Ennis does a lot of clever takes on the idea of being a pers- uh, being it being from the perspective of a dog. They have different words for things. Um, they call uh, humans feeders because I guess that's all they see us as good for is feeding them. And uh, they, uh, whenever a dog barks, the speech bubbles just say, I'm a dog, I'm a dog, I'm a dog, I'm a dog, over and over. <laughs> and so if you've ever been wondering what dogs are saying to each other when they bark, that's what they're saying, apparently, according to Garth Ennis, is they're saying, I'm a dog. Um, it's just, it's a very heartfelt comic, but it's also very graphic at the same time. If you look at the article, the cover that I put there, the big dog, our primary antagonist back there, is back there. And you the first time you see him, he's involved in an activity that I will not go into. But it is very graphic. But knowing Garth Ennis wrote this, you will not be surprised at all. Um, but then you find out a backstory for this character that makes him also a very sympathetic antagonist. But, yeah, it's, it's a great miniseries. I hope he does a sequel to it because it definitely ends on a note where it could have a sequel. But it also ends on a note where it could stand on its, fine, uh, on its own just fine. But... Um, yeah, Rover Red Charlie is fantastic. If you if you love dogs at all or if you just love good comics, definitely check it out. I have a big blind spot for Garth Ennis, actually. I, I, I can't say I've read... I'm not sure I've ever read anything of his. You haven't read Preacher? No, I haven't read Preacher. Uh, I read. I got the first, what, what they call book one, which is the first 12 issues, and I don't see why the comic is so offensive just yet, but it's definitely a fun comic to read. You'll get that. That's what my brother told me too. He's like, "You'll get there," because I was like, "I was like, I see all these people complaining about how offensive it is, and I don't really see it." But yeah, apparently it gets there. Yeah, Preacher's one of those ones. I've I've got the first trade, and I've, I haven't read it yet. But you know that for a lot of people, that's kind of the end all, be all. One of the, one of the best comics ever right. written. So definitely on my list. But yeah, I don't th- I don't think I've read anything of his either. Um, so maybe this would be a a good place to start with something recent. Ennis is Ennis is someone that I have a lot of trouble with. I, I I like Preacher okay. I dislike an awful lot of his stuff. Um, he really always shined for me in war comics. That was really the only thing he did that I could just kind of universally say, from what I recall, was just good. But uh, I mean, yeah, I'll keep an eye out for it. I he he's a writer who I think I've been too dismissive of for too long. And so, I mean, yeah, I'll give him, give him another shot. So um, I, I'm not going to lie. This category was one that I kind of suggested uh, because I'm a, I'm a really big proponent of one shots uh, in general. I mean, OGNs as well, but um, I read a lot of one shots. I try and find something interesting that I've, you know, haven't heard of or a publisher, a small publisher to get, you know, as often as I can. So I had a bunch of really good ones um, that uh, I was thinking of, but uh, I ended up going with Cosplayers 2, which is not necessarily the second issue in a series. It's really kind of a sequel to the, the first one shot that came out uh, earlier this year, uh, Cosplayers, which was also great. Um, it's by Dash Shaw, who I'm not terribly familiar with. I've, I looked into some of his work afterwards, but uh, he wrote and drew it. Um, very kind of indie comic style. Um, Cosplayers 1 was about uh, these two girls that uh, use their love of cosplay to make movies where they basically run around in their costumes and uh, they film themselves and then they kind of use real life interactions and splice them all together to make these weird movies out of them. And, and so at this point uh, with the second one, they've become kind of YouTube sensations in the, in the nerd community. And uh, the two girls make their way to a really shitty convention, which is uh, like the best topic I can think of for, for this kind of comic. Um, and uh, Shaw really nails it. Uh, the awkward, weirdness of sitting in you know you being the only two or three people in a panel room and this guy's like 
presenting a uh, you know his his paper on uh, why uh, you know the best Miyazaki movie why he likes this one the best. <laughs> um, so it was just a, a blast to read. It was really fun. Um, he's a really great cartoonist. Um, and I, one of the things I really like about uh, both the first one and the second one, but uh, is that. Um, because of the title cosplayers, um, he does these great pinups of different characters. Uh, so it's not, you know, it's not, uh, uh, princess Mononoke he's drawing. It's this girl dressed as princess Mononoke in her not so great costume or, you know, so it's, it's really charming. It's really endearing. It's very funny. Um, I would recommend both of the one shots, uh, but I particularly liked cosplayers too. Thought it was very, very nice change of pace. Yeah, looking at this guy's stuff on uh, Amazon, Cosplayers number one's not available there, so do you know a place where it's available? Uh, you could probably find it in a, at a comic shop. I think it only came out maybe four or five months ago. It wasn't that long. Okay. Maybe not even that long. Cosplayers 2 is definitely available. It's $4.99 on Amazon. But like, he's got some really interesting-looking stuff like in his repertoire. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to, to delving into that. Um, really, really nice cartooning. Um, funny, funny use of facial expressions and, and just... Very nicely done stuff. I like it a lot. So um, let's uh, let's move on to the the big one here. So uh, now we're we're hitting our best comic of the year uh, with the caveat so far. So um, let's uh, let's start with Cal. What is what do you think is the best comic series of the year thus far? Um, I gave it to uh, Ms. Marvel, which was not a series i mean i was hoping it'd be good uh i read it and it just uh it really really impressed me uh the first issue is still i think um pretty much uh for me at least uh the first issue was basically flawless it is uh up there with uh john rogers run on blue beetle as kind of the the perfect um, melding of modern comic storytelling tropes with kind of the classic, you know, uh, teen superhero genre that's fallen a little bit in disrepair since no one creates new characters anymore. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, there's only so many stories you can tell with teen X-Men and teen Spider-Man. So they've all been aged up and, um, for me, that's that's fine. You know, the X-Men and the Spider-Man, Spider-Man, I like them, but it's uh, there's still a lot of power to those early stories for me. And Ms. Marvel captures it so perfectly, that blend of kind of teenage uncertainty, family drama, uh, conflicted hero, and kind of superpowers as a metaphor for various aspects of adolescence. Uh the most ambitious choice of, uh, I think, was having the the uh, having the main character Kamala, who's um, uh, got a lot of press for being, you know, a major uh, headlining character in a book and not being white. Uh, I mean, she's not only is she not white, she's Muslim, which is another thing that uh, modern comics audiences are not super <laughs> cool with. Uh, in some ways, but it's just, it's such a universal story. It's just so well executed. Uh, we're, we're really, we're one, we're one arc in, and I don't think there's been a bum moment in the series yet. 
Yeah, I love it, man. Uh, you you turned me on to it uh, after you wrote a very very nice review on the site, and I uh, immediately jumped on board. And I saw a lot of parallels to like '60s Spider-Man there. Um, the same sort of teenage problems, but from a different cultural perspective, which uh, I really appreciated. I mean, rather than the issues of uh, you know a white guy, nerdy white guy uh, from a slightly maybe slightly Jewish perspective, instead now you have the Muslim perspective of a young of a young female, and I think that is really fabulous. Um, it, it, there's a character; it's a character with a lot of personality too, and it's a voice that's very authentic. Um, you know, the character was co-created by Sana Amanat, who's an editor there at Marvel, with G. Willow Wilson, who uh, has, a, has a, she herself, I guess, is a converted Muslim now. Um, but I think she may have, may have married a man uh, that uh, is from Egypt. And so they all have very close ties to that community. And that's something that's very rare with female characters and multicultural characters uh, in comics because oftentimes they're written by white guys. Um, I like that authentic voice. It's the same sort of reason why, you know, if I like the books better, I would also buy Batwoman or I would also buy Ghost Rider more because it's written by someone who actually represents the culture they're writing for. Uh, but this is the one that nails it. And it, uh, I agree with you, man. I think it's a great book. And Adrian Alfana, that could have been my best artist pick too, really. Yeah. Adrian Alfana, who... Yeah, I I should have said something. I mean, he was he's fantastic. Um, he did a great job designing the characters. I know there were some complaints from some people that uh, the art was just a little bit too stylized, like a little bit too cartoonish. But uh, to me, it really nails that kind of heightened emotional atmosphere of high school. Yeah, and and the art actually looks like a Disney cartoon to me, like a really good one. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, you know, just to sell the case more for anybody that might be interested in checking it out. I mean, it's really something to behold. Good story. Probably the only thing, the only good thing that came out of Inhumanity, in actually, was uh, <laughs> was Miss Marvel. Uh, but what a thing to come out of it. Yeah, I think the first issue must have come, I think it came out on a week when I had like a gigantic poll of, of which I've had many think, lately. Yeah. Um, and, and that was the only reason I didn't get it. I was really interested, but um, definitely getting the trade uh, from not just from y'all's recommendation, uh, but I, I've heard everywhere that it's amazing. Um, I mean, hell, I'd, I'd get it. I'd get the singles just for the McKelvey covers. So uh, definitely, you know, picking that up at some point soon. Um, so uh, Shane, what is your what is your pick for best series of the year? Well, year so far because I, I would feel I'd feel very horrible picking it for best of the year and it only being three issues. Um, let me preface this by saying, as a native Alabamian, I'm I'm very familiar with stories about the South. I mean, everybody in Alabama, and probably you guys too, were forced to read, uh, even though you're not even from Alabama, were probably forced to read uh, "To Kill a Mockingbird" uh, as you went through high school. Um, it's definitely a classic that's moved beyond where it's set, but yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird and Forrest Gump are really the only two works that we have that are set in Alabama and have anything to say about what the culture in Alabama is like, like really the ones that have transcended and everybody knows about. So there's nothing really around today that really accurately captures what it's like to be in the South today until this little comic called Southern Bastards. And it's only three issues so far, but Jason Aaron and Jason Latour have just knocked this thing out of the park. Like they completely get what it's like to be in the South. And it helps that 
Jason Aaron is a native of Jasper, Alabama, which is about an hour away from where I live, an hour down south. And uh, very, very small town, very hick town. And you can kind of see a lot of the roots from Southern Bassers just knowing if you're like me, if you're an Alabama native and you know Jasper, you can kind of see that's its influence on Southern Bastards. And Jason Aaron also being a big Alabama fan, it's nice to see something mentioned Paul Bear Bryant in its first issue. But it being a Southern noir, like not only does it have the feel of the South right, it's also a really interesting story. And it just, it knocks everything out of the park. And Jason Latour's art is fantastic. And I love how each issue, when the title shows up, it starts with a dog barking. And then issue three is just a dog shitting on the sidewalk. That's how it started <laughs> with its title. Um, but yeah, it's it's great. Um, it, it captures what it's like to live in the South. And I just cannot wait to see what this comic has in store for us, not only for the rest of 2014, but for as long as this comic's going to be around. It's definitely got kind of a unique voice. There's there's nothing out there yes. quite like that. Um, and yeah, I, I I won't say it's my favorite thing that's coming out right now, but I do I love uh, Jason Aaron's um, just his I guess his voice. Um, I mean, he's got a great kind of comedic um, comedic, but also very kind of brutal tone in, in a lot of a lot of ways yeah. that um, I, I really uh, enjoy. Very, yeah, I think that's a good way to sum up his voice: comedic and brutal. Because you definitely see that in Thor. But he obviously has to hold that back a bit because it's Thor and it's for Marvel and you're going to have teenagers and possibly children reading it. But he does not hold back at all in Southern Bastards. And I think that's what helps to give it, like you said, a very unique voice. I also like the uh, recipe for fried pies in the back. (laughs) Oh, yes. I'm not an apple pie person, but I definitely appreciated him putting that back there. Yeah, I was a pretty big fan of the first couple issues as well. I just I just read the third last night and like did a lot. Um I know I'm I'm the odd man out here in that uh, Jason Aaron really doesn't do it for me normally, um, uh, but uh, Southern Bastards seems to be exactly the sort of thing that he wants to be writing, and exactly the sort of fit for his mentality. It's pulpy and. Uh, it's pulpy and big and a little bit ridiculous, but just in all the right ways. Uh, I mean, so far, first three issues have been fantastic. Uh, let me be the counterpoint here and say that I do not like this series. Oh wow! Yeah, I, d- I don't like it at all. Uh, I've read I've read all three issues. I feel like it's like it's just maybe it's not the South I grew up in, man. Uh, but I, it, maybe not. I guess so. <laughs> like uh, Atlanta is very as much. Southern stuff as Atlanta has, Atlanta is very much so not South at the same time. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I didn't, I didn't grow up in Atlanta, so I mean, that's that, the, that, but whatever, it, it that, that's <laughs> beyond, beyond the point. I mean, I grew up more in like Augusta, but uh, and you know, of course, I moved around. I'm not around familiar with too. Georgia at all outside of Atlanta, so Augusta and Virginia, basically, but that's beyond the point. So the l- let me just say this, um, like there's there's stuff to admire in the series. Like I, I like the I, I like the the idea of a noirish aspect. Um, I like weird noirs. I mean, movies like Brick, you know, where they put they institute a noir in a place where you wouldn't normally see it. I mean, that's the whole reason I like my favorite series. Um, but I don't know, man. There's just something caricaturish about it all to me, and it feels very forced. And in a way that I know, you know, Cal, you're not crazy about Thor, but for me, in a way that Thor is not. Um, I was just very disappointed in this. And I like Jason Latour's art throughout. I think he does a great job uh, with his draftsmanship here. 
but the scripts just, I don't know. It just feels like, you know, Hey, this is Southern gimmick. You know, that's what it feels like to me. And uh, knowing he's, I could definitely get that impression. And I think I would agree with you if I didn't know Jason Aaron was from the South, I guess that's the only reason I feel like it doesn't feel like a gimmick to me. Yeah, no, I no, I understand. I'm I, I'm definitely in a slim minority on this series. Most people really like it, and it's in very low quantities at the stores generally. When I just pick it up off the shelf because I ain't I ain't pulling it, you know what I mean? But um, so far, not doing it for me. And it's probably the first like miss from Image I've picked up since uh, old uh, toilet paper black science. <laughs> <laughs> well, now now I know what it's like for to be Harper than uh, having Kyle hate your favorite series. So, <laughs> so uh, Kyle, since you hate fried pies and the South, uh, <laughs> what did you end up going with for uh, for best series of uh, of? Well, I, I don't hate fried pies, but apparently I do hate <laughs> Jason Aaron fried pies. But you know what I do love Cthulhu and uh, the nameless the nameless one um, seamless transition. <laughs> Yeah, apparently it's just been the year of Lovecraftian nightmares and horrors for me. I mean, loving True Detective, buying a great board game called Eldritch Horror, which is based around Lovecraftian mythos, and, of course, the continuing and now ending saga of Fatal, which is the beautiful uh, Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips story that we uh, we just mentioned earlier here on the podcast. It's great. I, I've bought it twice. I bought the hardbacks to go with my singles just for my bookshelf. Um, it's tremendous, and I, I can't say much about it other than I'll miss it when it ends this month. But I can't wait to read the end, and then the fade-out starts next month. So uh, more Brubaker Phillips goodness. If you want to read a tremendous uh, weird noir that incorporates – uh, you know these sort of Lovecraftian, other nameless horrors. Uh, this is really the thing to go for. I will say it's a great counterpoint, especially if you're a fan of True Detective. Um, True Detective sort of takes that noirish aspect, but uh, kind of grounds it in reality. Whereas this is a series where the magic is all real. So uh, just something worth checking out. Uh, one of the most uh, interesting series out there. I love it. I was, uh, I think we, somebody mentioned this earlier when we were talking about Brubaker that um, I, the first couple issues are, I think I read the first full arc actually. Um, I was just, I was a little lost. Um, and, and I think that's partly because of the, the gap in reading singles. Um, so I'm definitely planning on picking up the, uh, the hardbacks at some point. Um, I mean, it, I was thrilled about the series when it got announced. It sounded awesome. So, and based on that and your recommendation, I'm, I'm definitely checking it out. Um, did, I'm curious, do the, do the hardbacks have the, the essays that are in the singles? Only the ones written by Brubaker. Okay. I think the, the hardcover had one essay from Jess Nevins, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. You might be right. I'm going to have to go back and flip through it again. But generally speaking, like all the criminal hardcovers don't um, because, you know, space. And they want to give you a reason to buy the single issues, sure. um, which is sort of like the reward for it. But – you know, single issues don't look as good on a bookshelf. So, uh, yeah, it's, that's, that's the one thing. Um, but it's got a lot of nice uh, interstitial art as well, which for me is like the big draw. Having all that Sean Phillips movie poster art is uh, something I really like. So, Yeah, Fatal, Fatal, it was a grower for me, but I'm sold. I'm in. I, I, I can't wait to read the end. Um, I, I gave up after the first arc, but... Uh, my my coolest friend Sarah got me the second one for Christmas, and I loved it. So I, I am in. Nice. Well, everybody, for for what it's worth, 
everyone I know has had trouble with the first uh, arc mm-hmm. of the story, the first trade paperback. No one was sold until the second story came around. So, uh, except me, apparently, but I'm, I'm a mark for this team. So, cool. So, uh, I'm going to round us out with uh, my pick for best series of the year thus far. And um, I went with uh, Stray Bullets Killers, which is essentially Stray Bullets Volume 2. Um, Stray Bullets was a series that uh, when I was in my early comic reading days, um, that was one of the first things I was really religiously reading or, or searching in the back issue bins to catch up on. Um, uh, David Lapham's got a uh, really, really brutal, bitter look, um, but uh, or, or tone, I should say, but it's in a really kind of endearing and very believable um, a way that he does it. Um, it's one of those series that it's kind of hard to describe for me. Um, the word that always gets thrown around is that it's very nihilistic. It is not a, not a very happy series to read. Um, but, uh, it's, it's wonderful. It strikes a lot of, um, really interesting kind of personal chords. Um, and it's, it's just one of those series that I've, I've always loved. And to, so to see that he, he's came back this year with it, um, you know, it's one of those things where somebody comes back to something after, you know, almost 10 years or however long it was, you, you know, a little wary as excited as I was, I was a little wary about it, but, um, I gotta say he came back into absolutely, um, you know, a full swing and, and hit the ground running. And the first, uh, I think there's been four issues so far have been really, really wonderful. Um, it's, uh, one of those things that I, I really look forward to. Um, and, and, you know, just pour over definitely one of my favorite series of, of all time. So the new ones have been great. Yeah. That's, that's one. I'm not like I, a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine lent me, I, I have to, I guess, the very, very first Stray Bullets trade pretty recently. But uh, I've, I've got a stack of, a stack of graphic novels. I'm, I'm trying to get through and books. I, I, I review books too, and uh, my, my weight pile is so huge that I just haven't gotten to it yet. But I'm, I'm excited to, especially after seeing it top your list. It's it's one of those ones that's just very different. And I, I came up, um, I kind of took an opposite approach when I came into comics than a lot of people. I didn't start reading superhero stuff until relatively recently, um, just a few years ago. But I, I really came up on crime um, comics was kind of my my start. Uh, and this was easily my favorite. So been been a really good one. I would highly recommend it. The only uh, David Lapham book I've read actually is Deadpool Max. Uh, which uh, which is the book he, I think he did with Kyle Baker of all people, <laughs> which is like the weirdest team of dudes. Um, but uh, it, it was it was a decent book, I guess. But I, I understand that Stray Bullets is like far beyond like any of uh, any of the uh, the stuff that he's written for any of the big two. So that's that's something I need to check out. Yeah, I've, I've tried a lot of his stuff that he wrote um, for Marvel and, and everybody, but um, I, I don't know. It's just. I have none of that has really struck any kind of chord with me at all. I didn't, I wasn't really a big fan actually, but um, he's a, he's a great artist in his own right, honestly too. That's a big part of it. Um, Really nice cartooning black and white um, kind of, you know, indie comic style. So, Um, so I have, I have one final question to kind of uh, round us out here and finish the, finish the topic. Um, So thinking about the first half of the year in comics, just in general, um, do you guys think it's been a particularly good, good year so far? Has this been one that that'll be, you know, one for the history books or, you know, are there, are there some trends that are going on that are good or bad? Like, what do you guys think about this year so far? There's a huge indie trend. I think even more than there was last year, because images started to really come into its own 
and I think that'll only continue as 2014, 2015, so on and go on, uh, particularly because a lot of those comics that got announced at Image Expo last year start mm-hmm. to come out. Um, I particularly cannot wait for the one Bill Willingham's writing, uh, being the big fables nerd that I am. Um, I guess whether it's a good year or not depends on your perspective. I think Marvel and Image and a few other indie companies, good year. DC, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this was a year that I think I've 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 moved almost completely away from DC, uh, which a little bit breaks my heart. But until they're until they're done with whatever the hell's going on over there right now, I just <laughs> I just they're gonna have to change a lot of people over there. I think for that to happen. Yeah, and, until they lose half their staff on the move to California, um, I I just don't think that they're interested in telling the kind of stories I'm interested in reading. But on the other hand, um, Daredevil and Hawkeye have ushered in kind of a, a, a new golden age at Marvel for me. Yeah. Um, uh, great, great art. A lot of interesting creators telling stories that I really couldn't have imagined seeing being told at Marvel 10 years ago. And... Um, I think all of that is to the due to the popular and critical success of, of Hawkeye and Daredevil, which kind of kicked off this uh, this trend of solo characters, uh, different tones, kind of brighter, a little bit more uh, character centric. Meanwhile, image the I mean the image has been really kicking butt for a while. But this year, this past like 12 months or so, has been when they got uh, a lot of the superstars to bring their stuff over. Um, when the quote-unquote image revolution first happened, it was a lot of uh, very good books from mostly unknowns that did it. And now it's it's the superstars kind of muscling in and bringing their biggest ideas to bear. Um, and then there's Valiant. I mean, you know, we don't talk about it, but... I love Valiant. They're still they're still trucking away. Keep on keeping on, Valiant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got it. We got a friend of the show, Ron Perty, who uh, is another podcaster who really busted my balls over the fact that we didn't cite any Valiant on this list. Um, so you know, maybe this will be finally be the year that I check out Valiant. He tells me Archer and Armstrong. I was about to say, there's a very simple reason for that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, he says Archer and Armstrong is very good, and you know, we interviewed Matt Kent last week, and uh, you know, he's writing Unity right now, and is about to write something with Jeff Lemire. It was just announced today. So uh, with Paulo Rivera on art, which oh, is, man. I know, right? So that's exciting. Whatever that might be, uh, the Kingdom Come of Vertigo, apparently. Um, so, you know, I mean, or or Valiant, rather. So, I mean, yeah, DC, a lot of problems there. I think it's telling that the first, like, really well-received news they've had in quite some time came today with the announcement of the new Batgirl team. Um, I haven't really heard any any real negative about that from anybody in the press or uh, fellow bloggers or even fans. Um, so it's hopeful that maybe, um... Their attempts to emulate the uh, more stylistic side of Marvel, which, you know, again, as we said, started with Hawkeye, and then they just sort of allowed creators to be creators. Uh, maybe they're allowing Becky Cloonan and Cameron Stewart and folks like that to do something similar. 
uh, though editorial issues are still what they are. Um, I don't know. It's uh, Marvel kind of sits in the middle there. Marvel still has some of its own issues when it comes to you know the actual product versus um, ver- versus like the publication. So for me, like. Uh, I like spending three ninety nine just fine as long as I have a nice sturdy book and that's what Image gives me. Marvel gives me like a church pamphlet. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty brutal the way these things feel in my hands. So I think that the end question is going to be, you know, how much longer is it before these big companies decide, well, all our business should be in digital anyway. Um, and I think that's going to be the thing that twenty fourteen where the tea leaves sort of head. I mean, is digital going to be the future? And is that market finally going to grow or is it going to pretty much plateau, which some people think it has? Um, and can the companies, you know, sort of produce something that's better? I mean, or are we going to be looking at four ninety nine uh, thin as hell books? I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I like things with a little bit of heft. Um, I know that's a bit of a publisher question, but that's that's the thing that I'm most concerned with. Yeah, I mean, I, I really I agree with everything you guys have said. I've, those were along the same lines of the things I was thinking that. You know, I've just seen over the past, you know, even even as far as last year, but it's just ramped up even more um, so far in 2014 that my DC pile has shrunk. My Marvel pile has, I've really stuck with the same couple of books. I've added maybe one or two here and there. Um, and my image pile has gone through the roof. Um, every, you know, they put out, they, ba- they almost put out a new book every week, a new number one, it seems like. Um, mm-hmm. And I try most of them and I stick with probably 60 or 70% of them, it seems like, which is uh, destroying my bank account. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll forgo that and say I'm very thankful for the awesome stuff that they're putting out. Um, I mean, seeing stuff from, you know, Black Science and, um, you know, uh, Rick Mander himself has got another book coming out later this year um, to, you know, uh, Fatal to, and, and over to the Stray Bullets, you know, very a very wide variety of really interesting things. And I just find myself much more interested in reading a bunch of different kinds of books, you know, from science fiction to horror to noir um, instead of just kind of the same old, same old. And Marvel's taken that, that ball and run with it a little bit uh, to a degree. Um, and, and they have some really excellent books over there, but um, for the most part, uh, you know, the superhero stuff has kind of gone downhill in general for me a, a little bit. It's It's just, you know, it kind of seems the same old, same old and never seems to change all that much. Um, and I'm tired of events, damn it, while I'm on my little high horse here. No so you don't, you don't get a, uh, you know, we're not going to get a Stray Bullets uh, Fatal crossover, and I'm very thankful for that. So Harper. We, don't even, like, we don't even get a break at Marvel anymore. Like, we're going straight from Original Sin into Axis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I was going to say really quickly was there are more books – that are on my pull that will be coming out at some point, and I don't even know like actual publication dates, then there are actually books on my pull that are coming out right now. <laughs> um, I mean, I put down like a great majority of those books that were announced at Image, Image Expo, and guess what? There's another Image Expo in like a week and a half. So uh, there's going to be more announcements coming and more good books and more big creators jumping this ship. We're not at a big two anymore. I mean, if you look at the unit sales uh, and the dollar figure sales, we're almost at the point where there's a big three. And that's really exciting for uh, fans of original ideas in comics, particularly people who want to get away from corporate IP. I mean, this is this is exciting stuff. Comics ain't just superheroes and tights, man. I mean, there's more to I it know. than that. Yeah, Biff Bam Pow. 
Comics are <laughs> not just for kids these days. <laughs> Let's throw that in there. I think I'm actually morally obligated to stop listening to this podcast <laughs> after that. I had to. I had to. So, uh, so those are those are kind of our picks for for so far. What we think are 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 the with the exception of the uh, disappointing category, those are the things we would really highly recommend. And um, you know, all, for 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 my two cents, you know, everything that was uh, suggested. Um, you know, either stuff that I really love or things that are definitely on my, uh, on my, on my list at this point. So, um, if you're interested as a listener, um, in any of the things we talked about, um, a really great way to, to support the podcast and get yourself some great comics or, or anything else you're looking for is to use our Amazon link. So, um, uh, for any of the stuff we talked about on, uh, today's episode, if you go to the article that was posted just a few days ago, um, our mid-year uh, comics report. Uh, all of those books, we have provided the links to Amazon. And uh, when you go and buy something through that link, uh, we get a little bit of the percentage. A little percentage of that uh, goes into our pockets to help kind of cover our costs. So we would be uh, greatly appreciative if, if you did that. But anything outside of the comics, you can also uh, just go to the Amazon link on our front page and, you know, get yourself something nice and expensive. Uh, you know, help us out a little bit. <laughs> so... Uh, thank you guys very much for, for uh, your input on this one. I, I, I really like that we've got such a nice varied list. Uh, no duplicates is always cool. Um, so uh, see you next week. So yeah. long. Farewell. I'll Peter Zane. Goodbye. Goodbye.